Hi, everybody in podcast land and also on YouTube. I'm James. I'm David. I'm Riley. And today, this podcast, the Carpool Critics Movie Podcast, <sighs> is covering The Fellowship of the Ring, our first installment of our coverage of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And that's all we know it is right now. All no promises on the, on the Hobbit. Oh, yes, yes. I, we don't know. We, we don't know. know. Big question mark there. Uh, and I should mention, if you're a part of our convoy, uh, the next movie we're going to be doing next week is going to be Mank. And that is the new uh, movie from David, David Fincher, Fincher starring gonna, Gary Oldman. Oh yeah, it's gonna on be Netflix. Excited, yeah. It's a, it's available in some select theaters now, but it's gonna be launching on December fourth on Netflix everywhere. Yeah. And the f- week following that, that's when we are finally going to be closing our Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, so we're gonna be covering the Dark Knight Rises. Okay, everybody, that's all the housekeeping. If you haven't watched any of our Dark Knight episodes yet, you have a couple weeks to. Catch up. Right. Do that because they're pretty sweet episodes. And if you haven't watched any of the Lord of the Rings movies, shame on you. And also, spoiler alert! And this is a better time than ever because now, uh, as of this week, they've released the new 4K versions yeah. of the extended movies. They look good. That's right. They do look good. I checked it out yesterday. Uh, the 4K-ness, I'm not sure, is the biggest selling point. The textures, they are better, but it's really the HDR yeah. that is really the update. Did you guys watch this in the 4K or not? Yes. No, no. I, I watched it in 1080. Uh, I noticed it was very good, 1080. Like, the version I watched was, I think, 39 megabit per second. Oh, wow. Like, which is, for context, if you watch a 4K movie on Netflix, that's about 25 megabit per second. So, like, 50% better quality than a 4K movie on Netflix. It looked great, so I was I was not even sure how it was going to be better. Huh. On uh, in the 4K version, but I did do some side by side comparisons, and it's not mind blowing, but it is markedly better. Yeah, the new yeah. version. I watched half of this movie just in 1080p, and then uh, I watched. I started watching some of the 4K one, to, and thought like, oh, maybe I'll finish it off in 4K. But then I was like, ah, no, I'm gonna go back to 1080p because the 4K one was the extended one, and I watched the non-extended. That's another thing we'll get into. You watched the theatrical. I watched the theatrical version. You guys watched the extended one, right? Yeah. I was gonna sneak that in too. (laughs) I was gonna be like, yeah, we're all supposed to do extended, but I'm doing theatrical. (laughs) But I didn't in the end. I and I have some problems with uh, this version, so we'll definitely talk about that. Oh wow. But first. But first. David, why don't you give us your score for this movie out of 10? Perfect. Basically. 9.8 9.8 out of 10. Wow! 9 point, that makes me happy. Yep. I <laughs> love the Lord of the Rings trilogy so much, both the theatrical and the extended. This is some of the mo- most influential movies on me. They've shaped my mind of what movies can be. I re- revisit them every year, mostly, and uh, I can't get enough. If you were asked to give a rating for the theatrical release and a, and a separate rating for mm. the extended, would that be a different rating? Uh, for Fellowship, it would be about the same. Uh, I think the extended one is worth it. The extra half an hour of like world building kind of helps flesh out the Hobbits a bit more and kind of uh, understand a little bit more of the rules of the world, like the magic items that they all get and stuff. Uh, it's not necessary, and if I was showing someone for the first time, I'd probably stick to the theatrical editions because it just seems like such a big thing to buy into three and a half hours four hours of movies mm-hmm. i agree but i'll get more into that in a second here's my slogan right james i can do mine yes please a lightsaber fight may be more fun to watch but this is the one film trilogy to rule them all and i couldn't imagine a better start to the adventure oh <laughs> 9.25 out of 10 but like 
I don't I didn't know whether to where to put it on the nine. Like it's a nine point something, and I'm yeah. like, there's some things that we can get into. So I'm like, ah, nine point two five feels pretty good. But like I completely agree with David. Very influential on me as a child, and uh, love it, love it to death. So good. One of the riskiest bets in Hollywood history, The Lord of the Rings is a masterpiece of cinema and adaptation, and Fellowship succeeds in drawing us all in for the 12-hour ride. I wrote down 9 out of 10, but after hearing you guys, like, you're right. Like, is there anything I don't really like about it? 9 plus out of 10. Yeah, like, 9 it's just, something. I, I think I wanted to give myself some wiggle room in case I like the next ones more than Fellowship, <laughs> but it's... Yeah. It's funny. I it's fantastic. It. I had a slightly lower score because I wanted to do it. But if I remember right, I think Fellowship is, is actually kind of the best one um, for a yeah. number of reasons that we're going to get into after our sponsor. Oh, oh, this podcast is brought to you by PIA, Private Internet Access VPN. It helps you hide your true IP address so that you can bypass your restrictions and censorship. You can connect up to 10 devices at once, and it includes an internet kill switch. Try, you fools! If your VPN gets disconnected involuntarily. PIA is available for Windows, Mac, Android, iOS, and even as a god dang Chrome extension, so check it out at lmg.gg slash carpoolcritics. We are also supported by Vessi Footwear, famous for making shoes that are light, comfortable, and most importantly, allowed to be worn in the Shire. They're waterproof. They're made from dual climate knit material, and they're 100% vegan, which is completely badass for 11Zs, or even luncheon. Supper? Dinner! <laughs> Second They've just announced their new, uh, the weekend shoe, which is what Riley is wearing right now, so... Uh, if you want it, you should try to get it through us, because our link, bestie.com slash carpoolcritics, gives you 25 bucks off. Significant! That's very good. No, so, get the shoes, and now for the show! And this is what they sound like. Oh, I appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, we're now available mm. in Dolby Atmos. Uh, <laughs> Riley, can you remind everybody... Uh, just briefly, okay, what guys, happens so, in this movie? Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a three hour movie theatrical, four hour movie extended. Well, so, that's yeah. not real. Yeah. It's not four hours extended. Oh, the, you're right. When you press play, that's what it says because there's literally half an hour of credits somehow. <laughs> there's like a fan club with thirty thousand members. Yeah, who all get is that credit. what it was? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I didn't I didn't go and watch it, but like, what is it? It's just the credits are twenty minutes longer. Is that what? I don't know. Uh, yeah, Did you the movie watch ended and it said 30 minutes remaining. I scrolled through. I'm like, there's just more and more credits. <laughs> it's insane. This is what the creator intended. Okay, here's what happens, guys. At his 111th birthday, the hobbit Bilbo Baggins leaves a magic ring to his nephew Frodo at the wizard Gandalf's suggestion and heads for the elven city of Rivendell to live out his last days in peace. Gandalf reveals to Frodo the ring's true nature. It is the One Ring, forged by the Dark Lord Sauron, who seeks to reclaim it and plunge Middle-earth into a second darkness. Gandalf sends Frodo to the village of Bree with his friends Sam, Merry, and Pippin, while Gandalf seeks counsel with his superior, Sauron. But Sauron has joined with Sauron and imprisons Gandalf, who eventually escapes thanks to his giant eagle buddies. Meanwhile, pursued by Sauron's ringwraiths, the hobbits arrive at Bree and are saved by Aragorn, a ranger of the north and true heir to the throne of Gondor. The group sets out for Rivendell, narrowly escaping the ringwraiths once more, thanks to Aragorn's elf girlfriend, Arwen. At Rivendell, Arwen's... <laughs> That's what she is. I mean, I could go into it. At Rivendell, Arwen's father Elrond calls a council, during which Frodo volunteers to carry the ring to the one place it can be destroyed, Mount Doom, in the heart of Mordor. Eight companions join his quest, the hobbits Sam, Merry, and Pippin, Gandalf, Aragorn, the elf Legolas, the dwarf Gimli, and Boromir of Gondor. 
The Fellowship of the Ring tries to cross over the Misty Mountains, but Saruman's magic forces them down into the Mines of Moria. Inside, they encounter dwarf skeletons, goblins, and a Balrog, an ancient demon of shadow and flame. He looks awesome in HDR. He's, does he? Very bright. <laughs> I didn't really see it. Good. Gandalf defeats the Balrog, but it drags him down with it into an ab abyss. Gal Gandalf defeats the Balrog, but it drags him down with it into an abyss, allowing the rest of the Fellowship to escape. Mourning the loss of Gandalf, they flee into the woods of Lothlorien, home of the Lady Galadriel, who resists the temptation to take the ring from Frodo, instead supplying the Fellowship with great gifts before they set out once more. When they stop to make camp, Boromir, believing the ring to be Gondor's last hope, corners Frodo and tries to take it, but Frodo escapes. Aragorn encounters Frodo, but resists the ring's temptation. As the group is attacked by Saruman's forces, Frodo decides to go to Mordor alone, knowing that the ring will only poison the Fellowship. Merry and Pippin cover Frodo's escape with a distraction, and Boromir comes to their aid, but he is mortally wounded. Before dying, Boromir confesses that he tried to steal the ring, and is forgiven by Aragorn. Meanwhile, Sam basically forces Frodo to bring him along, and the two set out for Mordor, while Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli leave to rescue Merry and Pippin from the Orcs. Or from the Uruk-hai, I should say. I left out a lot of lore here, guys. <laughs> well, well, we'll explore some lore. <laughs> Is anyone at this table like a real Lord of the Rings aficionado, though? I mean, I had a phase where I was like, I'm going to read all the appendices and like go crazy with it. I didn't read the Silmarillion or... Well, that you're disqualified right away. Did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I read the, the trilogy, but I was like 12. Yeah. I mean, I read the books, but like there's a lot of background stuff and the other books in the kind of tolkien verse are pretty like dense and inaccessible like encyclopedic yeah most of them aren't really like novels books. there are a couple novels like i read the children of Hurin, which i don't even remember the plot of but uh yeah it's there's a lot there if you really want to delve into it but so I, I guess we should preemptively apologize yes. to the people who really are well versed in the lore i think that we're going to do a good job of um expanding what some people know I kind of and, I, and I, hopefully not getting anything wrong for the people who know more yeah. know more than us. I jumped back onto the wiki before this episode to kind of brush up, so I think I'm I'm probably can I say this, David? I don't know. Are you into it? I'm probably the most educated out of probably. us on the lore. I've uh, we'll read see. the Silmarillion, but I didn't really get into the Appendices more than a little bit. The Silmarillion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think though that's one of the great successes of this entire universe and the film universe especially is they nail how much they give to you without overloading you with information and there's kind of it's clear what the rules are and how the universe works but yeah. there's so much mystery surrounding so many figures like you you understand a little bit of what Gandalf is but like you don't fully understand he's like uh, basically an angel of this world and they get reborn more powerful and like they have a certain amount of lives but they don't belong in this world like you don't, you don't need to know that though exactly you don't need to know that it gives you just enough to understand he's beyond our, our power but he's beyond the power of anyone else uh, and I think that's what this movie nails is just giving you enough information to process, understand, but to feel like there's so much going on in this world that you don't know. Well, they do it with the prologue, mm. which is one of my favorite parts of this movie, actually. I love it. And I love the voiceover. It's super she, easy for a prologue to be super cheesy. Yeah. She, she is so good. Oh, yeah. Kate Blanchett as Galadriel. I can't, I can't imagine her. Has she ever been in a sitcom or something? Has she ever <laughs> not been epic <laughs> like what uh, oh yeah well she's played she's played a lot of different characters i mean i'm thinking of the woody allen movie i forget what it's called where she's like this like she's a mess but she was in yeah where'd you go 
at Bernadette or whatever the oh my gosh movie. was did you watch that movie? No, no, no. I watched the quick aside. Like, oh, you didn't see it. Oh, okay, um, no, because we I read the book. The book oh, really? is really good. Okay. The book is great, but I was like, I I heard that the movie was bland. So, anyways, nah. <laughs> I really like the intro. The first of all, you it opens on black frames, right? Mm-hmm. You hear the mm-hmm. voice, but you don't see anything. The music's insane. It's all choral. Yeah, it's insane. And then I like that in the lore, like she's telling this story. And I love that it says something like, for two and a half thousand years, yeah, it just yeah. sat there. The ring waited. Yeah. And yeah. that really, uh, really cracks the surface of, of how this is a mythology. Totally. How Tolkien, he, he didn't sit, set out to write a fantasy novel. No. He wanted to, he, he was angry as a professor that... I don't know if he's like mad about it, but he, he was disappointed that all, lots of other cultures in the world have deep mythologies like yeah. Greek or Persian that span back thousands of years, yeah. like like uh, Sumerians and stuff right, like that, right. like the or Battle like, of Troy. Or Norse mythology. Yeah. Norse mythology, yeah. yeah, or like, uh, you know, Persia, Cyrus started yeah. it all. In Europe, all those old older ancient oral traditions were lost in, uh, when the Normans invaded in 1066. Mm. They're just gone. So. Oh. He really the Battle of Hastings? There's still a call it holiday for that, I think. Anyway, I so celebrated. No. He thought that was lame, so he actually just wanted to write his own that would take place seven or eight thousand years ago in Europe. Yeah. And so the, that's where you start. And and I think that it really comes through. So that's the starting point for this. And it really actually comes through in the narrative, in the themes. Right. And in the visual storytelling, too, which oh, we absolutely. can talk about. I mean, like, mythological is definitely a perfect word to describe, like, beyond any of Tol- Tolkien's actual uh, intentions, because he did intend that, as you're saying, but, like, the the result is something that just feels mythological. Like, we are we, we feel as if we're watching something that, you know, where these, there are these larger-than-life heroes and larger-than-life stakes. Uh, and I think part of the reason why it almost feels like it's mythological, but it feels grounded in a, in a, in a way. And I think part of the reason for that is as, as you were saying earlier, David, the fact that a lot of it is kept mysterious. Like there's crazy magic. Like I feel like this could easily have felt like a stupid Warcraft B movie yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, the fact that the magic and these these forces that we're we're trying to, we're kind of starting to k- grapple with and like in, introduce for the first time here are just like so mysterious and we don't really see like somebody like sh- holding their arm out and shooting yeah. a laser beam. Yeah, or even something. when there is magic, it's just yeah. Gandalf's staff lights up. Yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. a white light. Or like, yeah. or it's Saruman standing there just just yeah. yelling. Just hold oh, it, and then like lightning comes and yeah. it's like, oh, you could you could mistake that for just a normal force of thing. nature. Yeah. Well, I think even beyond the fact that he created an entire mythology, the fact that the fantasy world can't escape the shadow of Tolkien even today is insane mm. like the templates he set up like the 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 elf archer who's like fast and nimble and like the dwarf axemen and like the orcs totally. and Urukai and like the way we see like when you say goblin you see a tolkien goblin in your head when you hear a troll you see a tolkien troll like absolutely the yeah. fact that that's that fantasy is still dictated but by what he did like not quite a century ago but almost almost a century ago is insane and we can't escape it yeah, I I went and researched this a while ago actually before we started about talk before we talked about doing this on the podcast and I went and like because I was thinking I'm like who was the first person to kind of set up this like orc elf dwarf yeah. human who says that wizards have like pointy felt hats yeah. and staffs yeah. and and so there were a lot of like fantasy books yeah, sure. before Lord of the Rings obviously like there is a rich tradition there 
but Tolkien really, as far as I can tell, and like if if I'm wrong, and that you know people listening to this send us an email or tweet at us or something and tell us that we're horribly wrong, but as far as I can tell, Tolkien really was one of the first, if not the first, to set up this, you know, this whole world we were talking about with the elves and the dwarves and stuff, and and it, uh, yeah, I think I agree with you, David. Because of that, it does feel like really, it's like the base level of of this fantastic totally. mythology and mythological world that we're so familiar with. I think why this movie still resonates with people is that everything fantasy after feels like it has to have like a gimmick. It has to have like a twist mm-hmm. on this. Like the Witcher is good, but it's like, okay, we're taking all these tropes and then adding a few things. And like, there's enough to make it its own world. Like I don't want to diss the Witcher. Um, but like, I don't know, like the Shannara series, it's like, okay, it's, <laughs> it's like Tolkien, but, but more. Um, and I think yeah. that there's something about these movies taking it so serious and so straight down the middle of fantasy that's so satisfying because like obviously there's lots of people that want fantasy stuff and it it's kind of exhausting when the fantasy stuff you can get today has to be dark or sexy or something else like this is just right right in the middle of fantasy we owe it actually a lot to peter jackson for that yeah because he he took the fantasy genre and was like let's make it as if it's just real Right. Let's like what it would be like. It's almost more like a period piece. It's like the Dark Knight of fantasy. Yeah, sure. You know. Right, right, right. It's let's, like yeah. It's like let's pretend that we're in our world for a second here. Like these are real characters. These are real places. What is like? Was this was this a change in the world? If I don't, I can't think of like other fantasy movies that came out around the same time. They're actually the genre is kind of thin. There's not a whole yeah. lot. It wasn't really well treated. Or taken seriously by Hollywood, well, and which is so funny because this these movies won Oscars, and nominated for nine. Yeah, it's actually insane. Do you know the origin story of how this movie was made? Go for it. It almost wasn't made. Mm. Peter Jackson in like '96, they were working on it. It was they were then working with Harvey Weinstein, yikes, uh, <laughs> at, and that's Miramax. And right. so they had at that time, I think they worked for two years. They had the script all set out for two movies. And they had 40 people hired. Imagine a staff. It's like as big as Linus Media Group. Bigger. 40 people, artists working, doing renderings, sculptures. And then it started to fall through because they couldn't uh, get the money for... It turned out that Harvey was only allowed to approve a budget of a certain size. Uh, and he couldn't He couldn't get as much money as, as Peter thought he needed. Once the movie started to come together and he started to get a firm idea of this is what we're going to need, Harvey couldn't get that approved. And so... Uh, he was like, we have to just make one movie that is worth this much money. And then they were at a stalemate because uh, Peter Jackson was like, this cannot be one movie. I'm not going to adapt yeah. this six book oh my gosh. or six volumes kind of um, story into something that fans are just going to arrive and leave disappointed. Can you imagine? Man, Horrible. If they tried, if they squished this in. No. Harvey Weinstein is terrible in more ways than one. Well, no. Well, <laughs> he, he actually, Peter Jackson thinks um, he was actually pretty good in, in, doing his job anyway peter jackson does well from this interview from years ago he's canceled what happened what ended up happening was harvey said okay sure um even though i've they've already spent 20 million dollars developing at this point 20 million dollars harvey was like look uh i will give you the option to shop this around town if someone else wants to make this on two conditions number one they have to send me a check for 20 million dollars <laughs> and number two they can't make it one movie because if it's gonna be one movie i'm gonna make it one movie right so if they could find anyone else who did it. And in the meantime, Peter Jackson, the whole crew, they were going back to from L.A. to New Zealand. Mm. Uh, and 
and just being like, damn, 20 hour flight, just like spiraling about the waste of the two years of their life they just spent. Uh, but anyway, they, um, they did, re- after they were allowed to shop it around, they returned to um, LA. They only had, I think, four weeks. Harvey gave them a ticking clock on getting this done for this. Oh. Otherwise, he was just going to ma- find someone else to make the movie. Yeah. Harvey and, was? Yeah, because oh he's God. the producer. He, he had all the $20 million sunk. He had Jeez. all the assets and everything. And so... We they dodged this, a bullet. They okay, had this continue. ticking clock. And so what the uh, filmmakers did was they made a documentary, almost like a behind the scenes making of. And they interviewed all the people involved and they showed all their assets. Because then when you go into a pitch meeting, you have all these cool things to show people right, and right. get them to see it more. So then when they got to L.A., it turned out that their agent had called around and everyone in town had declined it before they even arrived. <laughs> they just said no. Because imagine these guys are not asking to make one movie. They're asking to make two to three movies oh, of, of a genre. Of a genre that is untested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A fantasy, stupid magic movie. Yes. Yeah. And so they had two meetings to do. Uh, one meeting was with this company that um, was like, we really like it. We want to make it. However, uh, we're being bought right now. Oh. And so you're going to have to wait like uh, six months. And they're like, well, we can't because of this ticking clock that Harvey set up. So the, their final meeting was with New Line Cinema, the house that Freddie built. And they... Um, <laughs> They walk in, they, they just sit there with the, I forget the guy's name. I'm so sorry. The producer there, they, they put on. I'm so sorry, producer. I'm that's so definitely sorry. I should know his name. Podcast. They, um, they put on their 36 minute tape of the, wow. this documentary that they made and they just all watched it together. And they're just like <laughs> watching this guy watch their pitch <laughs> and he watched it and he turned to them and he's like, why only two movies? Hey, and there we like, go. Yeah, and they're basically <laughs> in business right there. Yeah, that's uh, what a crazy bet. They were yeah. basically um, New Line was like, if this doesn't work, New Line's in big trouble. Oh, yeah. It was a huge investment. They're not mm. a big studio. Like outside of this series, there's nothing huge that they've done. Yeah, when you think when I think New Line Cinema, I think Lord of the Rings. I don't even know what else. Totally. It made it, yeah, yeah. totally well, elevated it, them to the next and level. And you think you think about the landscape of cinema at that time, like you mm. hadn't had your Harry Potters, you hadn't had your Lord of the no. Rings, or like your MCU. So the idea of building out more than a movie just like wasn't really done. Like you had franchises that had kind of built organically, like Star Wars, but Star Wars was one movie at a time, and they got it made. Yeah, to totally. do it untested, to yeah. film all three. Yeah, Insane. we're going to give you 200, I think it was something like $270 million or Jeez. something to do all three. So I, I did a quick Google here of like fantasy films before Lord of the Rings, and it's like 10 pre-Lord of the Rings high fantasy movies, The Princess Bride, The NeverEnding Story, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Conan the Barbarian, Labyrinth, no, Clash no of the Titans. So these are all just like so bad. They're kind of goofy fantasy movies. Like they're they're swords and sorcery kind of like out there crazy adventures, but they're not. I, they're no one's taking these seriously. It's they a don't fun have the time. Depth. Yeah, like you got goofy special effects with some wizard like casting a spell, and there's a pink glow that goes out and goes crazy. Like it, this is this is a completely different type of movie, as far as I can tell. I mean, yeah, casting is yeah. such a big part of it. Oh, for getting sure. Ian McKellen. Oh man, he elevates the movie so much. Can you the imagine they got their original casting of Sean Connery? <laughs> what? Is that true? That was he was gonna be Gandalf? Gandalf. Yeah, they they really pitched him. They were gonna give him. <laughs> they they offered him. I think one or two points on the back end. It would have ended up being hundreds of millions of dollars. But he was no. in retirement, so he declined. Thank God. Oh uh, my God. They, I know that Ian McKellen was one on their like. In their minds from the beginning. I'm sure. Oh, and by the way, talking about the back end, Harvey Weinstein did get 5%. Oh, that's a lot of money. Huge. But Peter Jackson thought that he deserved it because he was there at the beginning and gave him the $20 million at the beginning. Yeah, and he let them go because he probably had the right to just not let them have any options. So 
good, good. Oh good my for gosh, him. can you imagine like many that live deserve death? Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> no. on some that die deserve yeah. life. It's crazy do, that they that's cast a horrible um, Sean Connery. I'm sorry. It's I crazy. forget how he talks. It's crazy. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> it's crazy that they cast Elijah Wood because they were doing all their casting in London, and they thought that they wanted uh, English actors mm. for the most part, as Tolkien like had imagined. Yeah. And then Elijah was in L.A. and he like he bought a costume like a hobbit kind of costume and he went to the woods by his house and he made like a demo tape and he was like reading from the book and stuff <laughs> oh my and he gosh. sent it in and it came by courier after i think they had done a solid month of casting wow. by then and he had seen like literally hundreds of frodo's and then they came in they watched his tape like oh this this is from elijah wood and peter jackson had never seen his face but he had heard of elijah wood he had been mm. in one movie before that like you're that. from lord of the rings right <laughs> It's, he actually has a pretty <laughs> wicked face for the role. He's got like that kind yeah, of curly. I, no, I like I like his look for sure. But I would I would say that in terms of casting, especially if there was one weak point for me in this series, it's it's Elijah Wood. I I, I, I don't think I ever loved him. Like I think I think that I can watch it and it's like I don't even I just don't think about it anymore because he's synonymous with Frodo in my mind. But the fact that his accent is kind of in and out sometimes, and the fact that most of the other hobbits have sort of like northern english or or scottish irish accents and he's doing this like i'm an english prince <laughs> like i speak very proper um i don't know and and uh he's just kind of very like i don't know flowery just, well can you he's are not, you he's separating the acting and the character what's that are you separating the acting and the character like how oh. much of it is just because the if the I character. turn my, if I turn my brain off and I watch the movie I'm just like that's Frodo like yeah it's totally fine but I think that in when you know when we're talking about that's the one weak point for so me I think I the think. accent to me sells the idea that he's kind of not part of the Shire really like on a deeper level he belongs elsewhere like he belongs on the adventure yeah to sure me, that, that accent kind of goes to sell that not to I can like, go oh, with he that didn't, he didn't and, really sell it. Uh, I, I can see that. And also Bilbo has um, more of a standard English, English accent, accent as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, and they live together, so that should, yeah. they should be aligned. They're both Bagginses, but it still kind of bothers me. Eh, whatever. I like, I like Frodo. Come on, guys. I'm not, I'm not a hater here. <laughs> he, the I mean, character yeah. doesn't do a lot because he's the everyman. Right. He, he's like the surrogate for the audience to take and get taken through this journey. Yeah. He does have... Uh, they do give him initiative. Like, he does. he does take responsibility and... I like that arc where he, he uh, is told by Gandalf, you know, he's, there's the call to adventure and then he goes, we got to get to Rivendell. We got to sort this out. We got to take this ring. And then to him, he thinks and Sam thinks that that's the end of the journey. We're going to go to Rivendell. We're going to hand off the ring and then we're going to go home. And then he attends the council and he they they give him, Tolkien gives him this opportunity to stand up and be like, no, I am needed here. I'm the one who can do this. And even though he's afraid and he's never been outside the Shire, uh, he he takes an initiative. He decides to go on this quest himself, and so yeah, that's the uh, midpoint of the movie, which is usually in screenwriting is the um, no turning back point. Mm. And so that's when they the the writer or Tolkien does a trick there where it's, uh, he does plot expansion, just like in Star Wars. At the beginning, they think they're just um, saving the princess, right. and then they're like, oh, how about you also blow up the Death Star? <laughs> so they get he gets to that console. Uh, the council and then they rack up his um proactivity score where he goes from you know what i'm not just gonna go home i am gonna take this on this burden and i'm gonna destroy the ring yeah i think that's one of my favorite scenes of the entire movie favorite moments maybe when uh everyone's arguing at the council and 
Frodo it wants to be heard. And he's like, I'll take the ring. I'll take the ring. And Gandalf's the first to hear him. And he like closes his eyes. And yeah. He looks so upset. But he turns around and he's so like happy and proud of Frodo to step up. Like there's so much like ter- like emotion happening in Gandalf. Oh, totally. That there's time. that. And there's also oh. the fact that he knows he's a hobbit and that he's like yeah. not equipped for this. And, oh, but so that's good. the only way. And, yeah. and oh, it's like, from then on, we get to see all these different moments where Frodo like continually uh, it's redefined in his mind how big the world is. Yeah. Mm. Uh, specifically when Gandalf dies and they, they step out of the mines of Moria and everybody's mourning, there's just this shot that holds on Frodo and you oh, can man. just really see like, he's like, we are in a big world yeah. and I am, I am uh, all well, alone. Now. I'm getting chills just remembering that shot. That's something I really noticed on this rewatch is how much this movie is from the perspective of the hobbits, obviously, but that goes to make the f- world feel so much bigger than if it was from the perspective of humans. Like, not just on, like, a physical scale, like, where the hobbits are going in the bar and there's humans and they feel tiny. But, yeah. like, the adventure feels, like, magnitudes bigger because they're so small. And it's their totally. perspective that we're sharing. And the Shire is uh, an idyllic Western community in microcosm. Yeah. And so, it, it, yeah. it's perfect and it's agrarian. And all we do is, like, uh, cook and eat and, and hang drink, out. Yeah. It's yeah, funny. we have no I, no real problems. When I was a kid, I wanted to be an elf for sure because I'm like, they're so sick, they're so badass, like this is so cool. But when, now <laughs> that I'm an adult, I definitely want to be a hobbit. They definitely have like the prime life. Yeah, you just want to go and get a beer from Rosie. And <laughs> yeah, it looks awesome. Go and trim the birds. Yeah, smoke some pipe yeah. weed, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get enhanced. Yeah, and then they <laughs> they leave the Shire, and you're right about the scale. Like even just meeting up with a human, yeah, it's like the forced perspective of everything. Oh, yeah. huge. It's it's incredible. Like there's so much happening. Like even just like the, there's so much filmmaking craft happening in this movie that like is so subtle. Like even when you meet Strider for the first time, he's kind of dressed similar to the ring race. So you get a sense of menace. He's in dark robes. You don't mm. really know. But there's the one shot where you can barely see his eyes. And in filmmaking, when you see someone's eyes, it allows you to kind of like trust them a little bit more. And so you have these two dark menacing figures that are kind of unknowns or whatever but one you've seen the eyes and so that allows your your mind and your heart to be like okay i can trust this one a little bit more and obviously very quickly the movie unveils that he is to be trusted but there's so much stuff like that the the shot where it's like um they're like who's that guy in the corner and the the barkeep is telling them it's strider or whatever and they it goes it close on aragorn and he is in complete shadow and then he's like smoking his pipe and the light from the pipe just reflects in his eyes so you do see the eyes but they're like they all, like he looks almost evil. Yep. It's great. I love yeah, it. And then you see when the ring uh, gets airborne there because Frodo slips and falls, his head kind of go, yeah, he goes, he pulls the pipe oh, shit. He flinches <laughs> like, I'm going to have to move really quickly here. Like yeah. he's watching that ring. I just wanted to say about the hobbits too, the fact that like they are so out, they're like they're so, they're, they're just out of the action. You know, there's these wars and fights going on in the main world, but like the Shire is just completely removed. And to start the adventure there is such an interesting, it's great. It works perfectly for the, for the sense of adventure because, you know, um, even though your life is totally fine, suddenly you are faced with the fact that the outside world, there is this greater threat that is not just threatening, you know, those people over there, but could get to you. And even if it doesn't get to you, like it's a threat to the, the world in general. And so you have this responsibility almost to get out there. And there's this shot of, um, I think he's one of the proud feet. One of the the the, the original guy who's like uh, Gandalf and Frodo ride by him on the cart, and he's like scowling at them. Oh yeah. yeah. And then they pass by, and the kids start chasing Gandalf. I was like Gandalf, ah, do the thing, do the thing. 
And then he sets the fireworks off and it cuts back to the Proudfoot and he's laughing. And then he sees his wife and, and he's like, oh, I'm going to scowl again. And I just thought that was such a great like encapsulation of the theme, which oh, is that yeah. like life is serious and deadly and horrible. And there are so many terrible things going on out there. But that makes it that much more important to have hope and totally. to bring light into the world and yeah. silliness, silliness, yeah. too. Well, the Shire establishes the stakes because it is the it's the ideal in yeah. the Western mind. And so if it's under threat, yeah. if even it is under threat, then we are totally screwed. Mm. Yeah. I want to go back to that moment a bit, too, because I think not only does it succeed at kind of proposing the theme, but it also does so many little character beats. Like you get to know Gandalf so much that that he's kind of a yeah. showman, but he's also kind. He likes kids. Uh, and then you get a, a sense of like what the Shire is like. And it's just so efficient in those moments to give you theme, character, world building, like all in one fucking okay. scene. Which version is yeah, it efficient yeah. in? This because is great... actually this these early extended scenes are the scenes that I like the least uh, in the extended version. In terms of like the scenes they choose to put in or not, uh, I agree with the scenes that expand Aragorn and Boromir's storyline. Yeah. Those are sweet almost every other scene because i've seen the theatrical lease way more times i i know when the added added scenes are happening and almost every time i'm like i i would have cut this too <laughs> this sucks and particularly the hobbit scenes at the beginning yeah that's those fair. are the ones where like if you're introducing this to somebody who's uh, not that accessible to this kind right. of content namely my wife <laughs> that is like she can yeah. make it through the prologue has she never with seen Kate Blanchett reading like doing the voiceover she can make it through that and as soon as it's like concerning hobbits and they were just like watching like this hobbit like have earwax on his finger she's done like, huh. So wait, she, your, your wife's never seen Lord of the Rings? She, she, I tried to watch it with her like six years ago, and it was extended. And I didn't know that, no, and mistake. she was asleep before we left yeah. the Shire. So I think, is, yeah, oh, I ahead. think all the extended stuff is good, and it does add world building. But it's, I, I think it's better to watch on your second time because if you've yeah. watched it and enjoyed it, all of a sudden there's more movie for you to enjoy. And like to 100%. try and convince people to watch the extended cuts on their first go, I think is a mistake. Because like you said, like your wife just disconnects because it's not moving fast enough. I it's completely a, agree. It's a better movie. Like the yeah. the title card that says The Lord of the Rings, it comes up over top of Frodo leaning against the tree. Yep. Like, yeah. This is the protagonist. Here we are. Yeah. Well, honestly, right. uh, the extended editions don't seem to me like they made them to make the movie like a better movie, capital M. Like I think that they 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 really serve to flesh out a lot of details and a lot of character. Character moments. Moments and yeah. lore for people who want that. So like... To me, the definitive version of the movie is the unextended, and the extended one is like you know if you want to you want to so, know a little bit more about yeah. the universe. Okay, it's go. And go I'm watch talking the I'm talking about Fellowship specifically because yeah. I seem to recall on a rewatch a number of years ago that I thought that like Return of the King. I, I maybe I don't stand by this anymore, but I seem to remember being like, okay, these ones should be extended, but Fellowship shouldn't be. Um, but right. if my for me the definitive version would be somewhere in the middle. There are scenes I would keep and some that I don't. For example, when in the book, when Sam and uh, Frodo are in the woods near the Shire still, they encounter some elves that are on their way to leaving the continent. And um, in the extended version, you actually, they see these elves. In the book, they actually like hang out and do an overnight with these elves. In oh. the theatrical release, they don't see these elves at all. Right. Uh, and I think that's the best for a movie because then the danger increases the farther from home they get. And like the weirdness of the world and the... Extends yeah. the, as the farther they get from the Shire, the weirder it gets. But in the in the extended version, it's like you're seeing these elves like right, right outside, outside their door. So it's kind of it. I like it better when like that it better. gets weirder when they get farther. I almost like it when you know the first elf that they see is Arwen, 
and Frodo sees, and you know, it's probably also because he's like out of it from being stabbed with yeah, the Mogul blade. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying I like when we don't see the elves. I, I like how Arwen in the theatrical version is our first yeah, introduction. Yeah, me too. Oh, you too. I'm I know saying, you're saying you I, like the extended version. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm saying it's better when we don't encounter anything oh, weird we until go. we're far from the show. Okay, right on. Yeah. Oh, I agree. That's great. Let's fight and about then, it. Oh, wait, there's one more thing that just like this moment, I think other people would agree, is just so over the top and should not be in the movie. In the extended version, when they're at Bilbo's birthday, um, he has to like run and hide behind a tent because the Sackfell Bagginses are there and they're like literally chasing him. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. where is he? That is so over the top and slapstick and cheesy. I'm just like, get this out of here. Oh, I yeah. like it. Well, okay. It but is too I, much. I, I like that they took that out of the theatrical version. I I think that when you, when you really break it down to any of these extended scenes, like the scenes themselves might be... If you're if you're ta- if you're thinking about the movie as like a, a a one time first time experience, they do make it weaker. But as a second time, as a second through second time through, you're like, oh, this is fun. Like I, yeah, I'm I've, glad it exists. I've, yeah, I've already, yeah. I've already, I'm already familiar with the Shire and Hobbiton and and these hobbits. And you know, I did have some questions. Uh, I can imagine someone having questions about like, hey, where are Frodo's parents? And like, why is Bilbo trying to get away from his relatives? Like. And this is the other thing. It's not just that the extended edition just has like extra scenes. It's that scenes themselves are extended. Like they just like plug in little extra moments. Like um, Gandalf is in Bilbo's house and Bilbo, the, the, there's a knock on the door and Bilbo's like, oh, that's the, it's the Sackville Bagginses. I'm um, not home. Yeah. Yeah. But then in the theatrical version, he just says, oh, it's those dang relatives. And then it cuts to him going into the kitchen and he says, oh, I just need to get out of here. I want to finish my book, blah, blah, blah. But then in the extended version, he's like, they're after the house. They're after my things. Oh, I've got, I left it all to Frodo, blah, blah, blah. So we get that extra. Th- it's like, it's like an extra 10 seconds, but they, but they put that in. So they do. It, it's not just that there are these extra scenes, you know, it's, it's that they really flesh out. The- and I think it's just like James said, where the perfect movie would be somewhere in the middle where you get a little bit of that extra world building, a little bit of like the changes, just like the star Wars special editions. There's some changes that are good. Some of the, the enhancements, the special effects, the refinements, they're good, but then they just, they go, they add too much for a first time yeah. viewer. Cause sometimes they're just, uh, they are too much. Like in that uh, birthday party area, when they're hiding, then uh, there's a moment between Bilbo and Frodo, and they basically he Bilbo's just saying like, "Oh, I thought you were really cool. You're different than the other hobbits. You know, I always liked you." And it's like, we do not need this. It is. <laughs> it actually just should be a deleted scene. Yeah. It, but whereas other scenes like Aragorn in the marsh, like singing that sad song about mm. this elven woman, it sets up uh, his. Uh, it sets up the whole plot line about how like if elves bind, then they lose their immortality, kind of thing. It's like that was great. Yeah, yeah. Like, that extends the world, but some of them just should be deleted. Yeah. No, I, I I love that stuff as a fan of Lord of the Rings, but as a like I can imagine a non fan being like, it doesn't matter. I know the elves. You know, it seems like the elves live a long time or whatever. It's fine. They don't need to know. Like, but but can they die via poison? It's like we don't need to answer those questions for the average viewer. You know. Also, that- how how do these hobbits age? Are you aware that in the book? <laughs> Uh, are you aware? Are you aware? I'm going to get you. <laughs> if you're a fan of the book, then Gandalf's, one of his first lines might make you mad because he says to Frodo, when Frodo hops in his wagon, you didn't think I'd miss your uncle Bilbo's birthday, do you? Uh, uh-huh. Well, Bilbo and Frodo have the same birthday. 
Oh, yeah. That's a good Why point. would he say that to you? He didn't think I'd miss your uncle's birthday. He's like, dude, it's my freaking birthday, too. But, <laughs> wait, mean, what? Uh, yeah. oh, his 11th-1st birthday is a big deal in Hobbit culture, so it's like... Well, but it's a big... I don't think it is. A, it's a big birthday for Frodo too, wait, though. Wait, wait, wait. But in the book, Frodo's 50, coming up. He, no, no. At the, be, at the beginning, he's like thirty, and that's when okay. they come of age. So he oh, doesn't look okay. thirty, but he's not meant to look thirty because yeah. for them, thirty is like eighteen. Yeah, yeah, and then when do uh, hobbits live a long time? They live longer. Yeah. Yeah. When they when they leave, when Frodo leaves the Shire to go on the adventure, he, actually twenty years have passed. Seventeen years have passed since Gandalf was like, uh, "The ring is here." In the book, you mean? In yep. the book. Yeah. So yeah. when he leaves, he's actually meant to be fifty. I mean, yeah. I, okay, that's we can irrelevant. Ta- no, but he, we can start to talk about even this. in the movie. He can be fifty. We, sure, that's we can just start how to look. talk about this because having read the books, have we all read the books? Yep. The books, um, they're not a great read. Like they're kind of the 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 language is kind of archaic. I I feel that the movies are. They might not be the like the most like when we're talking about like Lord of the Rings lore or whatever, and you're like talking about all the F- different books and the appendices and the Silmarillion. Like, yeah, okay, if we're gonna talk about that lore, that the books are the definitive version. But to me, outside of all that stuff, the movies are the definitive version. Like, well, you want to talk about the perfect edit? Well, those I, books need to be hundreds of pages shorter. Yeah. Oh, sure. Like yeah. to get, I was reading it earlier this yeah. year again, <laughs> and. I probably got, I don't know, 200 pages in or something You're like that. At least a hundred of, yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah. And there's so much crap in there. Like then they turned left and went down a hilly brush and then they descended a bit and then there was dew on the grass. And you're like, I don't need to know the topography. Yeah, yeah. It, it's brutal. The movie actually does a great job of just cutting totally. things out while actually keeping a lot of cool stuff in. So for example, Farmer Maggot's Crop thing. In yeah. the book, they stay over the night at that guy's house. They oh. cut all that out, but you still see the farmer maggot. He still is yeah. chasing them. You see his scythe above the yeah. grains. Yeah, yeah. And um, what's awesome is little touches, like between Mary and Pippin, they're like, oh, I found a shortcut. To what? Mushrooms. <laughs> well, mushrooms. That chapter in the book is called A Shortcut to Mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, so, it's just really yeah. nice. I think you can tell it. that it was, yes, they did adapt it into a Hollywood movie, and you're yeah. going to lose stuff because it doesn't translate directly, but it was done so with love. Those hobbits love oh, yeah. vegetables, man. Well, yeah. I they're mean, like going to steal some carrots. I mean, mushrooms aren't vegetables, but they love, they're, they're like, that's their idea of like a heist. Like, let's go steal some vegetables. <laughs> yeah. but uh, I, lo- I love how it make, goes to make it feel that like they're so unprepared for this whole thing that like while they're trying to get mushrooms, the ring race show up and, and it becomes life and death, but they're still so concerned about like such mundane things. And it, it goes oh, to like brilliant. help build this arc that'll like that'll be different at different paces for all four of those characters throughout the series. Like Frodo kind of arrives at his realization of how important this is first, then Sam, then Mary, then Pippin. And like I love that those things are all set up right there at the beginning. I think that does I think the ho- the nature of the hobbits goes a long way towards making this feel like a much more compelling fantasy reality as well because i think if we just like jumped in there and we're just following aragorn the whole time or something yeah i think it would just be it would it would be it would be more it would be easier to take it like to think that it's silly yeah totally. it'd be, it'd easier to dismiss it as this sort of well, like oh it's silly fantasy or whatever yeah. but the hobbits are there and they're there to bring the audience in and be yeah. like hey we're here just worrying about what we're gonna have for second breakfast yeah and meanwhile sauron is marching on on you know the 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 nation and it's like well, oh we're in we're in freaking trouble here I th- there are more important things than than luncheon you know I think that's your seven one, meals a day i think you nailed it where that's one of the things that's incredible about this series is that like any other series you're right it would be aragorn he's the one that's the king he's the chosen one maybe the most competent fighter like 
he's the one that would be the protagonist in basically any other series. Mm -hmm. But they choose like the meekest, weakest, tiniest little person. And I think that goes to like kind of accentuate the themes of this movie too. Like it's so brilliant in every aspect of their choices, of Tolkien's choices in writing this. I like the the storyline with um, Aragorn though. Uh, really hit me in a different way this time though. Mm. I think um, his his is really important going back to that mythical element of this story because his storyline is is actually oddly like the Dark Knight. It's it's so weird. Huh. Between him and Boromir, they actually have the same kind of duality and huh. relationship as Batman and Dent. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, think about it, okay? Because yeah. because Boromir, <laughs> think about it, think about it. <laughs> Here Bo- we go. Boromir is there in Gondor, and he's not the rightful king. He's on the ground, and he's fighting so hard for uh, just. He's on the front lines, right beside Mordor. Yeah. And the reputation of the humans is that they, uh, above all, desire power, and like they're corruptible, and you know. But he's there fighting, and he he sees the rings. Like, look, we're the closest to this threat. We need weapons. Yeah, yeah. Give us the ring, and we'll fight like we've always fought, and we can win. Uh, and at first, he doesn't want uh, any help from Aragorn, who's just been like a lazy ass and turned his back on Gondor. Right. But then, as like we uh, don't need a king, kings suck. And then, and then you've got Aragorn, who's like afraid of that weakness. Mm. And then, as Wait, the Aragorn's afraid of, he, he's afraid of the human. Human corruptibility. He doesn't know right. if he can wield yeah. the sword or the ring. Or yeah, he he talks about how he, his ancestor Isildur failed to destroy the ring when he had the chance, and that caused the whole situation. Yep. That and he has in the now. same blood inside him. Right. Yeah, right. and everybody's counting on him, but he doesn't know if he can handle it. Right. Uh, whereas uh, the other end of the spectrum is Boromir, where everyone can see plainly that he doesn't have what it takes. <laughs> like he's tempted by the ring, just like right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he wants to use it, and then so they start off as opposites but then as the movie goes on they kind of intertwine uh to the extent that by the time boromir is dying he's like calling him brother and is yeah. like you know go and lead our people and you can do it buddy and i thought it was an interesting like i i it's so it's so compelling that that a boromir's turn from kind of like um being fully tempted by the ring and not really realizing that he is and uh you know just being in his head and not really uh, not being open to the possibility that like Aragorn is this guy that you need and and uh, his own weakness, his arc from going from that to accepting Aragorn as his king and realizing the mistakes that he made and is is really compelling. But I I gotta say maybe that's another weakness to me is the fact that that transition doesn't feel like we know that he's gone on, he's gone through that because of the time that the fellowship has spent together and maybe that's enough. But I would have liked I think. You see them fighting in the beginning, and then they have that that scene on Karadras where they're they're going up the mountain, and Frodo drops the ring, and Boromir picks it up, and he's kind of like, oh, he's kind of being tempted by it there. And then the next time that they really interact in a meaningful way is at Lothlorien after Gandalf falls, right? Am I wrong? Is there another scene there? And they're they're talking about Gondor and how they'll return to the the city or whatever, and it'll be good. We're brothers or whatever. And so it's like we see that they have kind of reconciled a little bit, but we don't see the actual reconciliation. And then at the end, we get this wonderful moment. It's a, it's a sick moment. I mean, like my 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 friend, my captain, Mike. What does he say? Yeah, that, uh, that part's awesome. 
my captain, my king, my brother, my captain, my king. But and I think that's like, such oh, a, I, I was tears just, in my eyes. I think from but, Tolkien's soldier past, though, where like brotherhood is born in fire, and like what's right. greater fire than battling orcs to defend the helpless? Yeah, right, maybe he that's fought my... in World War One. A lot of the brotherhood stuff that you see between uh, the Frodo and Sam comes so maybe, directly from that. Because when he returned home, most of his friends were dead. Right. Maybe that's my modern sensibility thing coming in there, where I'm like, but you didn't talk about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean. I think that this movie has some great ideas about masculinity. Like it shows men being tender and and vulnerable and and like experiencing their emotions and not being toxic. Um, but I also feel like I mean this definitely does have that sort of archaic idea of brotherhood where you are just brothers because of a virtue of time spent together. Like maybe they disagree on a lot of like political <laughs> issues. But because they've gone through the fire together, they have this bond that cannot yeah. be broken. Yeah, well, they don't necessarily... beautiful. Boromir and Aragorn don't necessarily need to talk about it because Boromir sees Aragorn's actions. Because his biggest complaint is that this guy's just been absent the whole right, time, right? Right, right, right. Well, now he's seeing all the effort that he's gotcha. putting into yeah. this cause that they share. So there's that. Totally. But the reason that I think their storyline uh, nests nicely into the mythical nature of this whole story, if this is meant to be a prehistory of Europe, mm. it's cool because this is the storyline that relates back to us in the modern day. This is the storyline that's like, in the end, it really is all about humans because mm. it's it's whether or not, um, it's up to the humans, right? The dwarves aren't going to save the world. Right. The elves don't have enough numbers to, phase, to save the world. Mm. It's really about Gondor, like uh, not reuniting, but you know, um, being saved by their king coming back, leading them to victory. Yeah. Can we uh, overcome the, our corruptible nature and do what's right? Right. And, and that is his whole storyline. It's not the main storyline, but it's the one that brings it all back to like if we're reading this Bible that's written by Tolkien. It, it's yeah. it's the one that says something about the human yeah. condition and how we're supposed to yeah. act in life today. Mm. And I think I it, think what it succeeds to do having those two characters in this movie is to really focus in on that theme of like how power corrupts within one movie because obviously there's a big three arc like three movie arc there's obviously a three movie arc about how power corrupts like you see i mean well, we won't get into it but by having these two characters in this movie one of them gets corrupted and kind of falls and betrays frodo uh and one of them doesn't it it helps to kind of condense that three movie arc in a visual way in a understandable way into one Totally. And, uh, you know, as a as a young person watching these movies, it was there are so many parts of it. But this Boromir, this Boromir arc is particularly great at this where it shows you the right thing to do. It's like you have this item, you have this ring that is is represents power and and uh, the temptation of power. Like there's an allegory about drugs there. For sure. And. Um, it's so easy for everybody just to kind of like everyone's tempted by it. It's so easy just to give into it. And we see Boromir just kind of like not really attempt to really stop himself from being attracted to it. And he only really stops himself because the other guys are watching, you know, at the point where he picks it up, he's like, if, if none of them were there, he'd be like, oh, I'm taking this back to Gondor right now. See you later. Um, and we see the way he tries to take it from Frodo, and and that's wrong. And then we see the exact contrast with with Aragorn having a very similar interaction with Frodo, and he says, "No, I would yeah. follow when you he, to the end." When You're he the closes he Frodo's closes hand? his fist. Oh, yes, it's, it's like a physical Man. representation of him saying, yeah, that's, "I resist the temptation." Yeah. That's one of the moments that makes me cry in this movie for sure. That oh, man. Boromir when he's got like the second arrow in him and he still gets up and he's like oh, oh my the gosh third arrow and then the moment oh. when the the hobbits 
they're like they're gonna run and they're like no we're gonna fight and they jump and they yeah. immediately get disarmed but like right, that right. moment makes me cry oh man, man boromir's it, redemption yeah, so tolkien good. wanted the ring in part to symbolize loss of freedom or mm. control oh. right so it's not just drugs it's not just authoritarian governments it's also even things like machines um like radio and tv which this was mostly written in the 1940s they already had that and he saw how people could be like zombies or in a trance mm. just consuming media like that and you you kind of see the characters go into those trances when uh, when they're tempted by the ring. Yeah, I, I would almost say that's a better allegory than like one about drugs, even though they act like junkies. Like Gollum is like the ultimate <laughs> immortal junkie. But I like the radio and TV allegory even better because what are they like with drugs? You at least feel good. Like with the ring, with the ring, you're not getting anything. You're just wasting time. Mm. Like when you're just watching, you know, there's some good cartoons out there, but for like for comparison, like if you're just watching cartoons all day or you're whatever, scrolling Instagram or something, yeah, scrolling and doom scrolling, like you you're getting nothing. In fact, you're doing damage, and but you think but you think this is what you need and you want I it think so though, bad. Well, Tolkien, I, I think... Tolkien lived through the mechanization of of England, mm. and so he he had said that he wanted he wished he had been born a hundred years earlier because he didn't uh, he didn't mm. like any of that. I feel like the ring is like more broadly interpretable than like any of these like individual things. To me, it's like just power in general yeah um, no it's great to think of it just as power yeah let's talk about the ring wraiths for a second yeah how sick are they i remember as a kid <laughs> that was the first that's probably the first scene that really really drives it home other than the prelude which is amazing when they are on the country road and then they hide under that tree oh, and the ring wraith steps off like peter jackson is so good at making movies yeah <laughs> when he, he's when so he tries. damn good why did the hobbits suck? I haven't watched those, so we'll get into, as far we'll get as into I'm that. concerned, he made this and King Kong, and those were good. But like, just like the boots landing, like the hobbits oh, look over man. their shoulder, and there's this big armored boot there that's just from outside the Shire. It's this big scary thing, yeah. and then it creeps down and puts its gloves gauntlets right on the roots beside their heads, and all these bugs start to crawl. Yeah, the room gets dark. It's just yeah. amazing, man. It just yeah, gives you such a the ambiance. He's, he's such a brilliant filmmaker, and you can tell. Every single person that worked on this movie loved what they were doing. Like, there's so much love and attention and detail and everything. Like, yeah, part of I that mean, is because like, it's in New Zealand. Is it because of which? Sorry, it's because it's in New Zealand. They actually all had to move for like 18 months to yeah. across the world. So you didn't really yeah. go unless you're one of these sickos who is like <laughs> all in, right? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Did and I mean, like, I, I, I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but like the production design on this movie is maybe the best in any fantasy thing ever. Like. Every race is so unique, and it, it what they wear, what they have, their houses tell such a story. Like the difference between the Shire and Arendelle, like they're completely different, but you totally get to know the High Elves Arendelle. versus the the locations are insane. Yeah, like completely all built. Yeah, they yeah. had no object could they buy in a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> yeah. They had to make everything, everything. every cup, everything. Yeah. The um the like Mines of Moria and other like kind of grand vistas. The fact that they they built those out completely in in like miniature. Oh, so good! And then they're walking bigatures. around. Bigatures, bigatures, yeah. Bigatures. And they're walking around with cameras, like like the the shot, the one that that really got me was um, the shot where the camera kind of flies down into the like Isengard, the, the breeding pits, yeah, at Isengard, yeah, and like where they're like tossing down the trees and stuff. And we're going through all these caverns and holes so and blah blah. blah. Cool. And I was like. Because when I first, I this was the first time I think that I've really watched this and thought about the fact that that's a physical shot that they added a bunch of CGI stuff to. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like a physical so construction, good. and they're going in there yeah. with a camera and going around so and like, 
doing the maneuvers, and then after they add all the the, the orcs and orcs stuff in top. CGI. I yeah. just can't even imagine making a film like that, man. Like, imagine the shot list. Like, just court. Someone had to program that robotic motion cap or not motion capture, motion controlled camera to move through that. That would just yeah. take me like two weeks. Yeah. There was a lot of like yeah. really cool technical things that they did with this that hadn't really been done before. Like the um, I forget what it's called, but there's a name for this program where they have the where crowd? they simulate. Yeah, the big like armies yeah. and stuff, where they they simulate thousands of orcs like running like in the in the mines of Moria. Um, where they're like climbing up the walls and like running in and stuff. And if you look closely, you can kind of see, like if you look at, if you focus in on like one orc, you can tell that his gait is just like the exact, he's just like a, another person copied. But um, you uh, guys watch like the behind ensemble, the scenes. it doesn't. Yeah, you can't really yeah, tell, can't but tell. like it looks so good and they just simulate, they, it's like it's like a video game and they just yeah. like place down, well, they just like spawn in a million my, of these my units. My favorite and they story like about all those crowd things places. was that they made it so realistic and they gave all of the little figures different like intelligence and personalities that the oh, right. first time they ran it, uh, a bunch of orcs just ran away because they were too cowardly. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. So they had to reprocess it again, make them a little more courageous. That's nuts. Wow. Yeah, There's a thing I learned that uh, I, I didn't realize this. I remember this from the book, but... After Frodo is stabbed by uh, the Morgul blade on the Weathertop thing there, um, that actually gives him better night vision. And he can see better than the other hobbits when they're in the Mines of Moria. What? Because, yeah, that so the, that blade... In the book? Yeah, that oh. blade is meant to dissolve inside the wound. And so when they get to Rivendell and Elrond heals him, there's actually still a fragment in there. And Elrond pulls it out. And if that fragment had remained, it would turn him into a wraith. Not unlike the ring race. Oh. He would have been like the ring race, but uh, subservient to them. He would have been in a type of hell uh, eternally. He would have been where a little mini, mini ring race. He would have been this tiny little... The tiniest Nazgul. He would have lived in that <laughs> void that they live in, and oh, yeah. he would have been tortured by um, Sauron for like trying to have the ring for himself uh, forever. But uh, instead, Elrond plucks that piece out of him. But even still, uh, it being in his heart for some time gives him these like long-lasting effects. And one of them is is the night vision because the ring wraiths they don't uh, they they can't they're blind in the day right, right they're right. blind in the daytime that's why the one hops off the horse and <laughs> sniffs them under the tree but they're blind in the daytime they are blind oh I didn't they know only that. can see they rely on their horses and other beasts to to uh, tell them like what they can see and they, they rely huh. on their smell and shadows of things but they can't like directly see yeah. man you're uh, cool. we're getting we're getting deep into the lore here i love it <laughs> what i had a question about that though the 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 shadow realm or whatever where you see them bilbo bilbo put on the ring many times i'm assuming and so at the end like at his 11 111th birthday he puts on but here's here's so when when frodo puts on the ring he kind of sees this like crazy shadow world or whatever and you know the ring rates know where he is and a few times he sees the eye of Sauron looking at him in that world. So Bilbo put on the ring many times before. Did he not see, did Sauron not see him? I, he, maybe he saw him, but he doesn't have the ability to, like, there's no GPS. He like, I see you, <laughs> right, but I right. don't know your location. Right, right, right. Yeah. But and the ring only... rates can like pinpoint it when they're close, maybe. And I think, I, yeah, it seems like that. Because like he put it on they are drawn and to you it. see yeah. them go, oh, it's over there. Yeah. It's like gravity, you know, like you, you pull toward it. Too. Sorry. Oh yeah, you think Bilbo? Bilbo seems like kind of an idiot. <laughs> like, like he's just like, I just got this magic ring because Bilbo doesn't know that this is the one ring. He just thinks it's the magic ring that he found, you know. Yeah. And he had to like talk Gollum out of it or something. I forget what happens in the Hobbit, but 
He's yeah, just not, like, oh, I got this funny, like, a magic yeah. ring. And, like, Frodo puts it on, and Sauron speaks directly to him. And actually, that's a really well, cool Well, there's a difference to- because, again, there's 20 years difference between Bilbo wearing it and Frodo wearing it. Yeah, but put, it. Bilbo put it on at the 111th birthday. Yeah, yeah, right. But when he does that, maybe Sauron's not at full strength yet because 20 years elapse. Yeah. What? They're building no, their no, no. army. I'm talking about in the movie, dude. I don't, I don't care about the book. I don't, the book's whatever. Well, I know, but so we don't know in the movie at what time passes. All we see is that Gandalf rides all the way to Gondor, which we know is really far because we don't get there for two more movies. And then he goes to some archives there, reads a bunch. I don't and think then it's And comes years. back to the Shire. I don't think it's years. The movie makes it seem like it's a couple of days or weeks, but we don't know. You know what? I didn't even think about that because Bilbo takes off and then Gandalf's like, I'm taking off too. I'll be back. See you later. Yeah. And then he goes to, he has to go Google the ring yeah. in the library at Minas Tirith. And then he comes back. Yeah, you're right. I didn't think about that. I thought it was like a couple weeks or something. Another thing happens there, which is he actually finds Gollum. He used Strider's help, the ranger, to find Gollum and they interrogate Gollum. What? Yes. And then when, by the time Gollum, or by the time Gandalf returns, the all the um this is blowing my mind. the little vignettes that are at the beginning of the movies, including the prelude the prelude in this movie that tells us the whole history yeah. and the origin story of Smeagol, both of those things are ha- happen in the books as conversations between Gandalf and Frodo. The origin story of Smeagol is learned by uh, Gandalf when him and Strider are interrogating uh, Gollum That's during crazy. that period. Okay, because one of my questions I wrote down this time was, wait, how did Gandalf know this whole story about Gollum getting tortured and they 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 uh, extracted two words, Shire, Baggins. Yeah, well, that's how he knows. And it's, it, there's little nods to it, too, because Gall, uh, because Gandalf knows in Moria, he's like, oh, he's been tracking us for three days. Gollum's been with right. us for three days. So we know that uh, Gandalf, no- he notices Smeagol. And then later on, the other person who makes reference to knowing that they've been tracked is also Strider. So like these are the mm. two people who actually have met him before. Well, and they are just, you know, and one's, one's yeah. a wizard and one's a ranger. They <laughs> yeah, know they, to, know. Yeah, they know. They, they just know. They can look in the rearview mirror of the Fellowship's car. <laughs> you guys want to talk about Arwen? Sure. She's expanded in the movies. Sure. I, I didn't realize, uh, I didn't remember this, but um, in the book, that whole river surging spell right. is not her. It's Elrond. It's Elrond and actually help from Gandalf. <clears throat> yeah. Because I guess uh, Elrond has control over like his whole realm, have that... That, well, including that river, and then Gandalf like th- spices it up with the um, <laughs> with the horses. With the horses, I just put some flair in there. I think she made a pretty decent call wanting to be with this human dude because, like, yeah, she doesn't get to be like five thousand years old or whatever. But if you're gonna pick a human, she, at least she picked this guy whose bloodline allows him to live. I think he lives to two hundred and ten. Yeah, like yeah. He, Aragorn is eighty-seven years old in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, looks looks, looks amazing. Yeah. If I can look at good at eighty seven, if I can what look at work? good at any age, I'd be happy. He's had some work done. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> this might be my one complaint of this movie for the franchise. We is, all get one. Yeah, that's it. Um, I have more complaints for the other movies, but uh, for this one, I feel like this movie doesn't have the time to build out the romance of Aragorn and Arwen as much as I would like. Because I, I watched the extended edition, so I got the full Monty of it. But I, I, I never feel like uh, I'm, like, brought in on their romance. I always feel like I'm an outsider watching them. And, like, maybe that's what they're going for. But I just find, like, I don't really feel their love, I guess. Well, we're, we're brought in ma- late. Like, yeah, their love is mature. She's already yeah, basically saying, I'm going to marry you. Like, she's it binding would, to him already. Right? It, w- it would be, I think it would probably, 
well, I don't know. Maybe it would slow the movie down even more, but like maybe in one of the later movies. Do we do get flashbacks, right? To to when they were younger? Yeah. And they're kind of like flirting around. I don't know if there's a elf man flirting like quite like that. No. I think it would have been nice to kind of see like a really early like when they first meet or something. Like a couple like scenes 16. like that because they do I don't spend care. they do spend some time we'll get into this in the two towers but they do spend some time in the other in the next movies kind of fleshing out their relationship a bit. I think and this one it didn't really yeah. bother me because I know we get the feeling that they've yeah. you know they've had a thing for a while so yeah. I don't know. I think showing them fall in love is one way of bringing us in on the romance but there's like a different way to do those scenes where it feels like you're less of an outsider watching in um and you can have their love be mature but like I've got to feel their love. Like I don't feel the love they have for each other that they say they have for each other. I don't feel like the movie is showing me that love. You as can't. Much. What is the failure? I don't think it's an acting because I actually wrote in my notes that Vigo's face of wonderment when she says that she's gonna bind to him and, and sacrifice all of this. Yeah, it's amazing. He looks yeah. like his mind is just blown. Oh yeah, he's great yeah. all around, man. He's the so best. is it the writing? Is it just like the type of it's, scene, or like I think what? it's I think it's the writing. So I think it's the kinds of scenes that we're seeing. Like it's more expositionary than kind of uh, experiential, uh, and like the way it's shot too. Like it it it's we get these beautiful wide shots that are like these silhouette shots that are gorgeous and it looks so good. Like I wrote that down. I'm like this shot looks great. Um, but then it never succeeds at like making you feel like you're part of that scene. It looks like you're watching two people have a scene. You're not an audience member like participating in that scene. I think that one of the things that makes uh, their romance kind of feel a bit inaccessible is the fact that they are speaking in these like really that's fair. kind of grand Shakespearean terms. And like when we're with the hobbits or with Gimli or whatever, we get this kind of grounding where we feel like these are real characters in a real universe. But Arwen and some of the other elves as well just feel so otherworldly, which they're supposed to feel. But like when Arwen and 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 Aragorn are talking, and she's like, "I choose to have yeah. a mortal life." Yeah. I think what you're saying like, is like okay. we don't really get a sense of their chemistry. Right? Yeah, it's that's all right. we come in too late. They're already like having like up until four in the morning crying, deep and meaningfuls. Yeah. yeah Whereas yeah, yeah. the only hint we get at what they're like together is when she shows up right after Frodo gets stabbed. And she's like, a ranger caught off his guard. And she like has her like blade against <laughs> yeah, his That's head. so funny. I was like, I like whoa. You know what? Based on that, Arwen and Aragorn are into some kinky shit. <laughs> blade I, on the neck. One this thing is I, not a Riley joke at all. <laughs> <laughs> James joke. I think the movie actually I thought you would like it. Uh, at having like a good amount of jokes. Like it's not, it's very self-serious and very full on sincere, but there's some good jokes. Like my favorite joke is that ca the carrot. I think I broke something. And he <laughs> yeah. a broken carrot. Yeah. Oh, I think my favorite joke, and it, it's weird watching this in the post MCU world, is like the ultimate undercut. It's at the Council of Elrond, um, and Elrond's oh giving like his final speech, and he's like, is it "And thus it shall be, this fellowship of the ring." And like the music's at its like the it's like the the big yeah. theme, and then uh, Pippin or Mary or whatever is just Pippin. like, "Uh, where are we going?" Yeah, he's like, "Great." Great. Where are we going? Yeah, and it's like the biggest <laughs> undercut of like the most intense moment. And like the movie is so self-serious. It's never un undercut itself yeah. in this way. I and it totally took it. me by surprise on this rewatch. I loved it. It was just like, okay. You need people of intelligence on this sort of adventure <laughs> yeah, quest yeah. thing. Thank yeah, exactly. Uh, I love yeah, I don't it. know if that, I didn't laugh at that humor. I don't hate it. I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a little fine, yeah. Dude, dude, dude. Pippin and Mary, like when they're on the uh, the watchtower, like they're camping at night and Frodo's sleeping. He wakes up and he's like, what are you doing? And they're like, yeah, they've lit uh, a fire. Uh, 
Tomatoes, sausages, nice crispy bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Put it out. I think I I, I think one of the things this movie does so well is the stakes are super high because like partway through they kill the most powerful character. The character Mm. that you're like, he's got it. He's like above all this. Like he's mysterious in a way I don't understand. He's in control. They straight up kill him. And then all of a sudden the, the rest of the journey feels so perilous. And then they kill another character, another main character. And I think that goes to make this movie feel really uh, like it, like the stakes are so much higher in this movie. Yeah. For me. And I almost was like, well, that's pretty dark for this kind of like children's movie. Like your 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 leader, your your sage character just gets like freaking just like he, he dies. But or you think he dies. But that's that that's the thing. I think that it's you do feel like there's a chance he can come back. Like I fell into a hole, but he's a wizard. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know? the way he he's also. Go. We also oh. know that he can he can be harmed before that because yep. he loses the fight to Saruman. Yep. Right. Yeah. I actually love that fight. So and sick. just generally, <laughs> I love the wizards in yeah. this movie because when they fight, it's like, okay, look at the fights in Clone Wars where you've got like Yoda versus Dooku or something like that or, or versus Sidious. Those are like the wrong way to do it. I liked it when I was 14. Yeah. But in this movie, you have these two old men. Like, how can these guys possibly fight each other? And what would it look like? And it's just like they're getting punched by air. And like, <laughs> and then when Sauron gets the upper hand and he makes uh, Gandalf spin, like his head is stuck to the ground and his yeah. legs are in the air and he's just spinning in oh, a circle. Man. That is perfect. It's such a good We, we can be like, oh, that would be really uncomfortable. That sucks. <laughs> like we... You just get it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't have to show them like sh- sending blasts of energy at each other or something because we were like, I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know how dangerous this is. But like when they're basically just doing like, it's like wizard staff kata. It's like gun kata from Equilibrium, but with wizard staffs. <laughs> and they, the, the actors yeah. sell it, you know, when he gets yeah. hit, he's like, boom! Yeah. Oh! You're like, oh, his poor liver. Yeah. Oh, no. And they're like bleeding and like you can tell that these are real impacts That's and stuff. Right. And then it's just so intuitive too when... When Sauron snatches uh, Gandalf's Force staff, it. and he's got two of them, yeah. you're like, this hasn't oh. been established, but that looks like a problem. <laughs> yeah, totally. That looks bad. This is like Harry yeah. Potter with two wands. I love Harry Potter hadn't come out And then they yet. put him on the top of the tower so that they can have the shots showing Gandalf and then all the stuff that the orcs are doing. Like It all just flows so good, so smooth yeah. together. I uh, like that other shot from the top of the tower when Sauron's using his voice, yeah. and he's just, he's just standing there at the sky wide open, just, Ah! Just yelling, yelling yeah, crap yeah. to like make a, <laughs> making a spell like way across the world. Like that's just such an epic shot. And Christopher, it's Christopher Lee. Yeah, it's almost like Christopher Lloyd. Christopher <laughs> Lee is just so sick, and his, his costume in this is epic. Christopher Lloyd as yeah. Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Marty. We Marty. gotta save the ring. How does the sound? The the voice wouldn't be that different, man. It's like. <laughs> We've got no choice against Sauron. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, it's a, like a minor point. It bugs me, but like, how do they get on the roof? Like, I want to see the little hatch. Why? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It it doesn't it doesn't actually bother me. But like when I watch it, I'm just like, how do they get up there? Show I, me the stairs. Magic. <laughs> I really like that. Um, the fact that they've chosen to use the roof, it requires no more explanation. That requires it does not require an, an additional establishing shot because we've already been shown the building. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, that pointy little roof is the prison cell. That sucks. You're <laughs> exposed to the elements. Yeah, maybe maybe it's good that they don't show you like things like that because it it it's one of those things that makes the universe feel more mysterious and more real at the same time. Like it's like the magic. Yeah. And the plant, the you scene stones. 
the, oh, the planter is yeah. so creepy and cool. It's just this black, weird ball that you want to look into. Oh, and then man. Gandalf puts his hand on it with a fabric between his hand and the yeah. ball and just a flash of the eye. And he's oh, And like, that's great. It pains him. Storytelling might be because he, the only other time he has that flash or whatever is when he touches the ring. So then, and that happens before. So when he touches the planter, you're like, oh. They tell you just enough information about them. You're like, it's some kind of uh, chat room. We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's a chat room. It is. It's a Lord of the Rings chat room. They haven't been accounted for, and you don't know who you're talking to. It could be a guy with dick in hand. Sauron, are you there? Hold on, I have to log on. (laughs) I forgot my password. It's chat roulette, and Sauron's the guy with his dick out. And you're like, no! (laughs) No! Okay, um, really cool thing that I noticed this time around that I had never noticed before. Because I... I've started watching all movies with subtitles. I've talked about this on Oh, the... I think you're onto something that I noticed yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Frodo first, put, first puts on the ring in the in the bar in the dan- in the prancing pony, and then he sees Sauron. I had never, I didn't know that he was actually speaking like legible, like like re- uh, real speech. I thought it was just like. <laughs> but he says, "You cannot hide. I see you. There is no life in the void. Only death." And I was like, yeah. whoa, that, like, that was the first time I had heard that. I've seen this movie how many times? I don't even know. I'm with you there, but actually I was thinking of a different thing. Okay. Which is um, sometimes when you hear that garbled speech, yeah. it, it, it says, you know when it says the character's name who says the thing, especially if it's voiceover? Yeah. It says in brackets, voice of the ring. Right. And for me, I was like, what? I always pictured it as being the voice of Sauron. Well, Sauron from far away. And I guess they're the same. Yeah. They're not quite the same. The, the ring has part of Sauron's soul. Like a horcrux. Yeah, it's basically a horcrux. There's nice. one horcux. Well, I just want to know if you guys ball. thought it, if you thought of it that way. To me, it, it was always just like a window into Barodur where he's at. It's like a right. Like he's talking through well, the phone. I think that the movie very clearly like dis, um, describes the ring as having an intention and a will. So you you do think of it as a character almost. So when, it, it totally is a character. When, when you hear that voice, I'm kind of like, that's the ring talking, but it's, you know, obviously this doesn't make any sense. But in, it's also in real Sauron world. because the voice, like yeah. the talking you just talked about was Sauron. It's, it, I'm, I'm thinking of it as sort of like a, it's a, it's a paradox. Like the ring is, that's the voice of the ring, but the voice of the ring really is Sauron, but it's not Sauron himself. It's like a part of Sauron. It's all, it's fine. Well, the voice that you hear when it is voice of the ring is the same voice as the voice yeah. you described a second ago when we know that is Sauron talking. It's, it's the Christian so, Trinity. God a, is the Holy yeah. Spirit, is Jesus. They're all the same thing. I love how it has a will and it can actually like physically kind of move itself when it wants when it wants to slip off your finger. Whoop, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can. It the, can screw you over. The ring abandoned Gollum. Yeah, it abandoned it like, him. It like bounces it used down a, the rocks. a verb. Yeah, yeah. He didn't lose the ring. Yeah. yeah. Oh, creepy. So oh, creepy. I love it, so man. Um, and you know what's I, awesome about that is the fact that this uh, adversary is with us the whole movie because right. it can be so difficult in stories to have you build up a hero. You spend a lot of time trying to have a great villain, but not every story is conducive to having face-to-face interactions with the hero and the villain. Right, right, it's right. It's really difficult. Even in uh, Dark Knight, like Batman doesn't interact with Joker until like the midpoint finally. Yeah. You know, and how many interactions do they have? Like three or something. And it's really annoying when these stories have these kind of like, oh, the bad guy's calling the, like he's calling him on a phone or like there's like a magic portal and like the the good guy talks to the bad guy that way. I feel like the way that they did this where like Frodo puts on the ring and that's how he kind of directly interacts with Sauron. And imagine if he didn't, yeah. if, if, if the ring wasn't, like a gateway to slash a piece of Sauron, mm. it would be like, okay, you're going to see that bad guy 
in three movies. They're going to yeah, walk across so the whole lame. world, and then you're going to have yeah. a conflict right, with them. Right, right, right. Uh, but instead, the Just conflict wait. is ongoing. <laughs> yeah, It's yeah. there the whole time. They're struggling with it internally. Yeah. To the extent that when they finally get to Mordor, he never actually has to uh, face the eye. The eye's irrelevant. Hit the final showdown climax of the whole series is he, with the ring. There is, Mount, there's one Mount kind Doom. of sh- there is one showdown with the eye where he's like hidden with Sam and the eye is searching, and then the it's when the other people have to do the battle to distract the eye so that they can make it through. So there's like one semi showdown. Sure, the but the movie. like climactic moment yeah, of the whole series right. is in Mount is Doom, the ring. and that's between Frodo and the right. ring. You're right. You're right. Man. So that's just a thing that's like kind of baked into the bones of this story, but it really serves a huge purpose that so. you kind of take for granted. Yep. Totally. That's what I think uh, really works about this movie is that the themes are very strong and like you can write. And I mean, like there has been like philosophy and like psychology books written about the themes of these stories because it's, mm. it's it's very clear. And it, every character kind of has a different arc that's exploring in a different way, but it never feels like it's hitting you over the head. It feels so naturally implanted into the story or not yeah. even implanted, grown out of the story. Despite the fact that there are like a few things in this movie that don't feel like there there are some things in this, like Mount Doom, like what could we fu- come <laughs> could we come up with a, co- a cool sounding name like the 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 Mount of Ruin or something? like even you could you could make it obvious that it's like a horrible horrible place without calling it straight up Mount Doom. I think that is just a vestige of like it, it has showing its age. Yeah, because yeah. like you can imagine all these like Mount. Mount Blank is just like a lame James yeah. Bond parody thing at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. an Austin Powers thing. It sounds thing. like a bad guy's like lair. But in yeah. the 1940s, it's just different. I, I, I also saw a different explanation of this where Doom sort of takes on a different meaning where it's like a more of an epic uh, idea where it's not just like, oh, you will meet your doom, Mount Death or something. You know, it's like yeah. the like in Game of Thrones, it's like the Doom of Valyria is sort of referencing the entire apocalypse that occurred. So it's it's more like a... Like a fate? Yeah. Like, well, and Mount Faint doesn't... Mount Fate doesn't Not sound better. much better. But no. um, there's also... It also has, like, a, other names in, like, Black Speech and Elvish and stuff. Sure. Um, and Mount Doom is sort of, like, what the what other people call it in the universe. So, eh, yeah, that's fine. Speaking <laughs> of, of stuff that ages poorly, what did you guys think of the the CG in the 4k version. Cause I, I, think I was going to say, I thought it was improved and like, I can't tell, I can't find anything online where they talk about it, but there's like one notoriously bad tracking shot. It's like a big panning shot in the mines where the fellowship's running into like a door. And mm. it's so clear that they're not on the floor. Like the floor is moving at a different pace than they are. Oh, right. I, I think I that was one of the shots that. that was covered by the uh, VFX artist react. They did a great Lord of the Rings episode yeah. where they reveal, you know, you thought this movie was flawless, but there's actually some wacky stuff right in plain yeah. view. Yeah. They, everyone should go check out that YouTube video. Um, I remember them bringing up that shot, but did you watch that in the re-release? I watched it, but like it didn't stick out to me in the way that it normally does. Like every time I've watched it in the past, it's always been like, oh yeah, there it is. And there's a lot of shots where I'm like, uh, like uh, when it's the shot of the Balrog and it does like the big whip up and it looks so fucking good. Oh, uh, then it cuts back to Gandalf and he's on the bridge and he like slams it and it just all doesn't look like it belongs there. Like it doesn't look like yeah. it's the same place. It looks like there's some compositing yeah. that has been done and it's, in this It's image. not a big deal because it's like whatever, 40 frames or whatever. And then it cuts back to the freaking Balrog. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was wondering if you guys noticed that it was better. I found overall, I found the CG less intrusive than it used to be. And I don't know if it's just my imagination or if it's, they've redone anything to fit better into 4k. 
So this uh, yeah, is I was interesting. What your experience. This is interesting because I wrote down that the CGI is more noticeable to me having watched the like behind the scenes stuff. So I I didn't watch the 4K version. I I, I dipped into it for a second just to kind of see what I was missing. Um, but uh, even even just in the regular whatever it is, what is it? 720p, <laughs> the original one. 1080p. So, oh, 1080p. It. Um, particularly the the shot that I'm thinking of is when they first set out uh, as the fellowship, it's this big kind of helicopter shot around this um, mountain and they digitally added these ruins on the, on the hilltop. And because I've seen the behind the scenes, I know that those ruins aren't real, that they're added digitally. And so when I'm watching it this time, I'm like, those look digital. Oh, that's interesting. I think they, I think that shot, if I'm thinking of the same one, looked pretty good in the 4k version i was like okay. oh yeah and i wonder if like the reason that it looks weird is because of like the resolution difference because the Maybe. film is going to have a certain amount of you know a certain resolution and then yeah. the cgi assets that they're putting in might be a bit sharper i don't know yeah. well and i think the film was never meant to be in audiences hands higher than 480p like it came in right. the time of dvd and mm-hmm. even the 1080p's were stretching it a little bit and so I know they had to do some refinishing because the movies, when they came out, were actually only 70% finished digitally. That was like a new process to finish your movie in a computer. Uh, it was 30% of the movie was just done straight film. And mm-hmm. so this is like the first time they've really gone back and redone the whole thing. And like they, they did some touch up to the color that I think overall is good. It's very subtle, but they've removed a lot of the green tints and kind of some of the dreamy look that just made everything look yeah. smeary. That's something uh, that I noticed, like when I popped the 4K on, yeah. I was, I, I thought the color did look different, and I'm not sure if I liked it. It's more natural. It's it's definitely more contrasty. Uh, well, part of that's going to be HDR. That's fair. Uh, and I, I think overall, I liked it. It's not like the uh, Star Wars 4K or 1080p versions where they really went hardcore in having bold like color temperatures, where like things that were natural are all of a sudden like full blue or full orange. Uh, this was the opposite. They kind of toned it down and made it feel more natural. And well, I, I just had to really watch the it. sequels on the 4K version because mm. you're gonna have characters like Gollum. Uh, it'll be very obvious if he looks a little better. And I guess I'll be watching. Right? I guess I'll be watching the 4K versions of the sequels, eh? I think it's Probably. worth it. I don't know. Um, I wanted to ask you guys because you know you gave it a 9.8. I gave it a 9.9.25. You gave it a nine something. What What do you think could be added, or what are the things that bring it down from like a 10? Because obviously no movie is going to be a 10. But but for me, can I say what mine is? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I, <laughs> I asked you a up, question. Isn't it? Yeah, I asked you a question, <laughs> but really it's because I wanted to talk about it. Um, there are just, and some of these some of these things are just kind of uh, artifacts of the time, but there are some just like really cheesy moments that I'm kind of like, ah, eh. like when um, uh, Frodo gets stabbed and they're trying to get him to Rivendell and he's like over Aragorn's back and he's like, God, yeah! and it kind of like, makes it an echo and, and then it cuts to something else i was like that's pretty cheap oh, then another thing is the uh when he, <laughs> after arwen saves him and the river goes crazy and she's like hold on it cuts to this sort of like montage oh, yeah, i know exactly and it's a low frame rate it's like the footage yeah. is low frame rate and we're like looking up at the like ceiling in rivendell or or whatever they are and it's just it's just like the camera's just wandering around in this low frame rate thing and then yeah. and then like green screened 
images of Frodo and Elrond come up and they're like speaking, he's speaking Elvish or something. Yeah, that is not a good look for yeah. for Hugh weaving there. I agree. And, yeah. uh, and it's the first time you see him too and he's just like yeah. saying some incomprehensible and Elvish. They're using like a wide angle lens on his face and it's like distorted. It's weird. Yeah. It's like um, a dream effect, yeah. There are these, there are like cheesy moments like that, but I, I wrote down, I'm like, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, it's, it's okay. fine. It's okay. For me, guys. the hokiest no thing is yeah. when Aragorn is telling Frodo at the end, right at the end, he's like, "Okay, you're gonna go off alone. Go." And then the orcs are closing in, and he turns around. There's like 300 <laughs> orcs there, yeah. and he just runs into them. I'm like, yeah. okay, so this guy can just take on literally an army. No, but that's oh. awesome. So, uh, I see. So yeah. so I, I just I don't. Think... I don't dig medieval weapons, man. Like, I don't want to fight with a longsword. It seems like the worst. You do one big swing, and then now you're completely exposed. I don't know how people use them. Well, he's not wearing strong. armor, so he's he's nimble. Yeah. Like a two-handed, big, long sword. Like, man, just... Like, no, when Legolas has, like, two shorter ones, it's, like, so much more workable. You hit him, and then you yeah. slice. Oh, see, I, I actually You don't really just go, like, goom, like a... Like a maybe one-on-one, -on -one, but if you're, like, engaging multiple opponents, and you're just, like, doing this one big swing to one dude, you're so open to I anybody did, else. I did notice that during these points where Aragorn and Legolas or whatever are taking on multiple foes, they kind of kill one or two guys, and then they cut. For and sure. I'm like, oh, it's yep. because is it because it's like hard to fluidly actually kill eight, ten people in a row? It's not a lightsaber, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's well, cool when Legolas uses yeah. his bow and they show him kill like eight in a row. That's awesome. I think the but movie... anytime the hobbits run in, I'm like, they'll die. Yeah, the and hobbits I mean, like, are dead. Yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely one of the cheesy moments for me is when uh, or Bar Boromir is dying and uh, the hobbits are kind of to the side watching and they start throwing rocks. And they're, they're <laughs> not only are they super accurate, but with one rock, they're knocking out orcs. And I'm like, they're the strongest <laughs> arm, like arm throw in the all of yeah. like wrote, child size. I wrote yeah, down that the, the orcs in this movie are like the stormtroopers yeah. and star. Like yeah. they're just useless. Yeah. Except for that Other, one. Except for uh, alerts. Yeah. Otherwise, though, I think that fight might be one of my favorite like squirmishes in the series. Because like, what did you squirmish? <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's not a battle. It's a squirmish. It's a skirmish, not a skirmish. Squirmish. Squirmish. I don't care. Uh, I like that. I'm using that. Skirmish. Um, I don't know, guys. I'm feeling a bit squirmish. The the, <laughs> the the fight feels like there's stakes because not only does Boromir die, but it, each of the the kind of elite fighters of them. They feel like they're fighting for their lives in a way that the later mm. movies kind of failed to do. Like Legolas in later movies is a little too hardcore and elite. Yeah. Where like and him and Gimli, I really hate that fight when they're counting the kills because it just takes away the stakes. It's not about are they gonna live or die. It's who's gonna kill more people. But right. in this in that fight, it's like, no, they're fighting for their life. And like without the help of each other, they would they would have died. Like there's like a shot where an axe was coming down on Aragorn and like someone stops him or like like they're they're defending yeah. each other in a way that I think no other fight in the series really succeeds to do. We can definitely talk about that more on the next one. I would for yeah. sure. To. Well, we're definitely gonna have complaints. But I mean, in this one though, I mean the fights. I think I I agree that some of the fights moments seem a bit cheesy. But I think I get over that by being like, all right, these are kind of older movies. And also, it's such a cool um, combination between this epic mythological feeling grounded feeling uh adventure story and these like badass action moments like when um the urukai chief lurts uh pulls the knife out of his leg and throws it at aragorn and aragorn slices it out of the the air and it shatters i'm like this is like th they don't feel like they belong in sort of a high fantasy 
movie. They be- they feel like they belong in you know an, an action movie, like where we're just looking for these cool set pieces. And the fact that this movie has both really cool store and really cool character moments and themes and and plot and also they find the time to put so much work into choreographing and like the attention to detail and the weapons and the the yeah the, the, the horses the yeah 200 horses like yeah in the next movies yeah there's it's so insane. much work yeah. put into making it oh, also incredible. just a really fun adventure in the yeah. in the fight scenes i had a realization so that saddened me actually oh i was watching this movie talk, talking about its mythic quality yeah i was like because i've heard people everyone knows i'm excited for dune and i've heard people throw around you know dune this could be the next lord of the rings because mm. they're probably going to make two or three movies at least two well, and yeah, let's it, see. It could be like I as good. So. This could be our the next generation. It looks of pretty good, but I don't think it really quite will have the same quality. I think it's gonna be a great movie, Doom? but it's not mythic. It's not like Lord no. of the Rings or Star Wars. No, no, no. It's just gonna be like a kind of mix between Game Lord, of Thrones. Like yeah, maybe Lord I, of the Rings yeah. plus Dune, Blade Dune, Runner. Dune feels like a Game of Thrones meets Star Wars sort of situation yeah. to me, which is funny because Star Wars is so like. Star Wars is very mythological and it's very family friendly and it's kind of dealing with these big things of evil, good versus evil. And Game of Thrones is like, <laughs> that's all bullshit. You know, people are looking out for themselves only. It's like House of Cards. Yeah. And, it, and you know, the, the world is a dark place and so you just have to kind of be a part of it. But Dune, Dune does take, I mean, we're going to talk about Dune later. But In a year. If it, Dune, does, it Dune does take this sort of like, you know, there, 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 there is a... There's good people in it, and you are cheering for the good characters to... to I'm three-quarters of the way through the book. You are? I didn't yeah. know you were reading it. <laughs> you gave it to me okay. to read. Oh. <laughs> okay, but let's stay on task here. Uh, we're going to wrap it up soon, but I have a list of... The the list is called Awesome. And okay. I just want you guys to respond to my list. Yeah. Uh, item one. And say nothing else. In the, pre- in the prelude when uh, she says, history became legend, legend became myth. Mm. And then it's all forgotten. I just love that concept. I think it, that a lot of people love the concept. It's like that Horizon Zero Dawn game where mm. it's like a planet where there are civilizations that are smarter than our current civilization, but they're just gone. The planet's right. so old. We don't have the technology they used to have. I'd I love to think that the pyramids were built by people who are more advanced than we are today. And they li- a fun idea. the Library so of Alexandria cool. had mathematical theorms that we haven't reached again right right um, and they're gone that is just a cool concept and i like totally. that that's right at the top of this movie we yep. see that yeah it's really cool to see like remnants of some bygone era and think that there is some mysterious you know thing there that we're missing um and, and i don't know how seriously i take the idea that this is like I, did tolkien actually mean for this to be this is the real like I, obviously it's not real I, obviously but but i think in his mind you know i feel like it was more inspired by needing a mythology for England and less like in when you read the books, you're supposed to like uh, believe that this is, you know, ancient English history. So I don't think Middle Earth becomes England later. You know, I think no, it's, just like, it's just like the tact. It's, it's just, just Western like society inspired. Device, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's just so cool that, you know, these guys don't have the internet. Right. Right. So it's like, this is known in the archive at Gondor. If you're a wizard and you go to look it up, there's like four people who are old enough to know this kind of stuff and whose business is to know this stuff. But just the fact that like knowledge is very disparate and if it's not passed on, it's just gone. It's on this piece of paper. If it burns, it's gone. And then you don't even know about the existence of the one ring of power. That thing is just sitting in a drawer somewhere. That's creepy, man. I think that, I think that's also something that gives it more of a mythological feel 
it's it's weird we've been talking about it but it's this weird paradox of the fact like like it, it it is both it feels both mythological and grounded in reality and i think part of what adds to that is the fact that gandalf has to go look up the stuff that happened 2500 years ago and to them it's legend but we're watching this movie of like this legend that happened uh, you know however many hundreds thousands of years ago or whatever so i think that there's having these layers of what we're watching is this mythological thing but to them they even have a mythological thing happened before that and it's just so deep and it just yeah, yeah. there's another uh you're thing. staring into the palantir another <laughs> it's winking at you another layer to that kind of thing is the character uh tom bombadil mm. who everybody it's like obviously he's he's so cool and so powerful but he's not in the movie at all because he doesn't advance the plot at all but um yeah what is he he's just this uh, character that they, they he's meet. a wizard i thought N- not quite he's uh, just sort of a magical dude He's like, uh, okay, so like, okay. Because the wizards the Bal- are Istar. Istari. You're right, you're right. You're right. They're, they're Maiar or whatever, right? Well, like they're they were, archangels. They started it as Maiar. I wanted to talk about this, but we, yeah, go ahead. Tom Bombadil. And so is the Balrog. Uh, yeah. Hey, you stole my point. But anyway. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We got to talk about that for a second now because the Balrog and wizards, a.k.a. Istari and Sauron are all the same type of being. They're all Maiar. Which are sort of like lesser angels. As, I, as far as I understand it, there's like a there's like a god who breathed the universe into being. Eru Iluvatar. And they are like two levels below him. Yeah. Then there's the Einar, which are like the high angels, and they were actually responsible for creation. The Iluvatar gave them the task to go and create reality, and then they did. And then um, uh, under them are the uh Maiar, yeah. which are but which are cool, what these guys are but why i'm bringing up bombadil here is because there's a there's a part in the book where uh, there's a discussion between elrond and gandalf where they're like you know should he be here because he's older than old right. like and he, he's like more powerful than both of those dudes and like should he be here to, uh, to discuss what we do with the ring and like could he be a steward of, could he hold the ring and like he protect it and Gandalf says he wouldn't come to this meeting unless we like all begged him and he wouldn't be a good protector of the ring because to him it would <laughs> be a, a joke it would be a trinket that he would lose because <laughs> it, when they when they encounter him when Frodo and the hobbits encounter him uh he can totally he's totally impervious to the effects of the ring right like so he's yeah, like yeah. an order of magnitude above all these other beings so like he's like outside the system yeah he, he he's not give a shit he's not a part of the hierarchy he's just tom freaking bombadil yeah, dude. yeah. yeah he's just like he's not the dude he's lebowski it's of, a trivial of, thing he's the lebowski <laughs> of lord of the rings i would love that like a fan edit with the the dude inserted like take out <laughs> bo- like boromir and put the dude in yeah <laughs> he's just chilling okay my next thing on this list uh probably less to talk about here i just love when christopher lee is to saying to gandalf you've elected the way of pain <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so wicked it's, it's so good. i also i also love how wizards canonically have huge noses well they're old because that just keeps growing they like put the a prosthetic nose on both ian mckellen and christopher lee like you can't have a wizard and not a huge nose like that's yeah. part of it uh, another sweet starts. another sweet line is when uh aragorn sees the wound uh when frodo gets stabbed and he's like this is beyond my skill to heal <laughs> I love it. It's just so. <laughs> it's so D and D. It's like literally oh, my skill. Yeah. Sure. It's like I don't yeah. have the stats. Uh, sorry, I, I'm like a 14. That's, I, I can't yeah, yeah. do this. He rolled. Yeah. He uh, I didn't rolled. equip the right knife yeah. that aids uh, plus three medic skills. Definitely a lawful good, uh, <laughs> ranger human. But yeah, I would say he's lawful. He's probably neutral good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, he's a ranger. He might, They're basically he might... like the police of the. 
of the land. Yeah, but uh, he's, he's shirking responsibility and like order for this life of chaos at the beginning. Like, but that's by the not end, just him. By the that's end, the he's entire, lawful good. But I think it's a journey from neutral to lawful. But that's the entire order of the rangers are, are Dunedain, which are basically, they're all descendants of the royal bloodline in some form or another of Eriador, which was, here we go, which was like the northern kingdom of men that was disbanded. Here's the thing is, I don't know that so they're all having doing it. low proactivity is the same as uh, not being lawful. Like he's, he's lawful, dude. I don't think that changes his, like, what is that called? Not orientation or disposition or alignment. It doesn't change your alignment just because you're not, like, living up to the stature you're supposed to. I don't think, okay, well... I think that he's lawful in the sense that he does good things. Like, what what do we see him do that's like? Ooh, but that good. Empty. But doing good things isn't lawful. That's good, and we all agree that he's good. But is well, he what, lawful? What or laws? Neutral? What rules does he break? It's not about breaking laws. It's about like having your life be about the law. <laughs> I was gonna make a joke about his fashion. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> breaking the rules fashion with that rules. hair. All right, whatever. Okay, whatever. We're Moving on. Uh, I I talked about how after Gondor dies, there's a shot of Frodo. Uh, it, it looks like he's really internalizing the impact. After Boromir dies? Sorry, I said Gondor dies. You when Gandalf idiot. You're dies, so dumb. When Gandalf dies, there's a shot of Frodo, and it looks like he's really internalizing the gravity of what he's taken on. Mm. But earlier than that, when they're at the the meeting of the like the Fellowship of the Ring, where they're just deciding what to do, they talk. They keep talking about the heir of Gondor, and then there's a camera pushes into Frodo, and he's just like. There's so much I don't know. <laughs> There's, he's like, this world is yeah. so beyond yeah. me. Yeah. Like, like, what I the hell is that. going on? Yeah. Like, I know about the Sackville Bagginses, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, I love inheritances. You know, I, man, I love how how much depth is referenced in the movie, but is not really explored. Like, we 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 hear multiple times what Galadriel or or or, or like what a person with power could maybe do with the ring. But that's the thing is that Her they, scene is so sick. But there's also this. I guess this was confusing to me until this last rewatch. I was like, I assumed that if Gandalf or Galadriel or whatever took the ring, they could like use it for. They could. They would have a bunch of power because that's what tempts them, right? Gandalf is tempted by the ring. He's like, oh, what I could do with that ring, Galadriel. What I thinks what I could do with that ring. I would become as terrible as the dawn. I'm not a dark lord, but a bright one or something. She says, and. Um, they also say that the ring doesn't answer to anyone except Sauron. So I'm assuming that if they well, got to hold the ring... That's why Gandalf says, I would try to use it for good, but through me, it would do this. Right. It still has that, like, taint. But that's what's so funny is that the temptation is there. They get the hands on the ring. Like, say Gandalf gets his hands on the ring. He uses it. and But, like, it wouldn't do anything. Like, it would just make him visible, I'm assuming, because they say it no, only no. answers to Sauron. Or maybe he but maybe it, it no, would enhance it his would, powers. Yeah, there, there's other people in non-canon stuff that uh, have gotten the ring, and they don't turn invisible. They get power, um, and so it depends who you are. Like Isildur didn't turn invisible; he became powerful. Uh, and so I don't know what it would what form it would take with Gandalf, but he wouldn't just become invisible. Oh, interesting. So maybe it just like enhances your abilities and so, like maybe hobbits it, are good at sneaking around. Yeah, so or maybe it only turns you invisible. It. Maybe it only turns them invisible because Sauron's looking for it, and it's just. It's not that they're going invisible; it's that they're like entering the void, and that's where they're they are visible to Sauron. Oh, well, we see see them like interact with the physical world. This is probably like known. I bet this is known. Yeah, we're, know. some people, some dude's gonna call. Someone's us out. yelling yeah. at us yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here's the next thing. Uh, the line. There's a great moment in the minds of Moria between Frodo and Gandalf, and uh, it's when Frodo's like, "Oh, we should have killed Smeagol back." Hell then. yeah, dude! Let's and talk about it. The, there's this one part of that line. There's so many lines there that are awesome, but 
one part of it is even the wise cannot see all ends. Mm. And that is so like foreshadowing to like something that's going to happen three movies down yeah. the line. I have the whole thing written down. <laughs> you should, that could be a full Frodo says it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the sense. And Gandalf says, pity? It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Yeah, that's crazy. Do not be too easy. I like to how he life. reverses it like that. Yeah, like, yeah. If you think it's like trivial to take a life, but like if you can't do the opposite, yeah. then do you really have the uh, the wherewithal to do the the, the taking? It, and it just like tells you to be like, well, hold on, just think about it for like, don't 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 act so quickly. Just think about it. Like, who are you to deal out death? It and reminds judgment? me of that parable of like. Um, there's like a man where it's like his, what is it? Like his cow dies and then all his neighbors are like, oh, that's a bad thing. And he's like, is it a bad thing? Is it a good thing? We don't know yet. And then because his cow dies, then he doesn't have, have you heard this parable? Is There's this, like, is it, this like a Jesus parable? No, yeah, it's, it's not biblical. It's just, oh, okay. I was like, what? It's like something like, oh, like your son broke his leg. Oh, that's a bad thing. But then because his son broke his leg, the son doesn't go to war. So that's a good thing. But then because ah. his son doesn't go to war, a bad thing. And it just like oscillates. Yeah. Save the guy that yeah, he could have saved. And then, yeah. Right. So the, throughout the whole story, the man just keeps saying, is it good or bad? We don't know. Because you, you can't see that far. Was this parable in the Ashton Kutcher movie, The Butterfly Effect? Maybe. I saw that when I was like 13. <laughs> so yeah. I just figured that up. I, I don't, don't know. know. And the, other, the other part, the other awesome part of that scene, because like, it's like uh, it's like two chunks. Gandalf's like, hey, don't be t- too eager to like deal out death, you know? And then the second chunk is Frodo saying, I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all that live to see such times, but yeah. that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Like two great quotes, like in such yeah. short succession and... Decide I, to watch the extended cut, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Stay I, with us as I, we cover the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, I I pictured me as a child or like a child watching this movie and just having that like having a character like Gandalf deliver those lessons to the audience. Again, it's like so it's powerful. mythical and biblical in yeah, that sense. Yeah, it's so powerful. Love it. That's a great place to end. I only had one more thing on my list, and it's in the extended scene where Gandalf is freaking out at Pippin because he can't open the door to Moria, and he's like, how would I bounce your head off of this rock? <laughs> what? That, that line stood out to me so yeah, much. Yeah, that seem... Like that's not a verbatim like what he says but he threatens he's like frustrated and he threatens pippin like he's basically like, pippin shut up and he thre- <laughs> he's like i'll, I'll bounce your yeah. head off this rock yeah. basically like fool of a took yeah, yeah. I, throw yourself in next time and rid us of your stupidity yeah, i have way worse than that though. Yeah. yeah i have one awesome thing that i i never really appreciated until this rewatch it's when uh Boromir's there and anduril the shattered anduril is on the thing oh yeah love that talking about this? it and he picks it up and drops it and like they kind of have their interaction and Aragorn picks it up, wields it and puts it back. And I love how that's just like a little visual foreshadowing for like how they're going to handle responsibility. Like oh, one man. craves it, picks it up, drops it. The other one handles it from the ground and puts it back where it belongs. Oh, and it's just so such very good. Visual. And, and now that's an extended Kelly. scene, right? Is it an extended no. scene? That's no. a good one. No, no, I think no it wasn't. I that... think, no, it's extended though. It's, Part of it, part of it is in oh, okay. the theatrical. I think. Well, that I, I, the scene as he described, I was in the theatrical. Oh, but then Arwen earlier, shows up. I think a little earlier than part. what he's saying. Earlier than that, when Boromir's like, "Oh, hello, friend. Who are you?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm, I'm Gandalf's buddy." Is that? Oh, that yeah, that's extended. That's extended. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That yeah. don't that, that don't, seemed alien to me. No, I don't. You don't need that part. <laughs> no, I like that part. I oh, like I don't it. It's, it. It's so subtle. It like sets up their conflict in such a subtle way. Yeah. Okay, I didn't even I I didn't even say. Oh, and it's also such a great uh, setup for like later when, spoiler alert, 
the sword is reforged. Anyways, Gimli in this movie, love this kid. One, one more, one, just one more thing I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay, Gimli. The <laughs> when they're in the woods of Lothlorien, and he's like, "Be careful, these I could don't you know these woods are dangerous or whatever." He's like. Oh, they could sneak up on us. And he says, I I don't think so. I have the eyes of a hawk and the ears of a fox. And he turns around, and there's an arrow in his face. Yeah. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I Gimli later on, and I think so a great. lot of this is extended when they're all getting gifts. And like he oh, like, yes. he does a 180 and he goes from hating elves to like simping for, for yeah, Galadriel. This, this, is the, yeah. this is the part that I wish there was more in the theatrical version about because the extended yeah. version adds so much of, uh, so much characterization for Gimli and... Uh, yeah, but it's weird. Less, He's just no. like fawning over Galadriel, and he like asks for a hair from her head, and she gives him three, and he like comes in his pants. Okay, so this is why so this is it's a great, it's great characterization, and I wish there was something about it in the theatrical version. But at the same time, I understand that this really should belong in the extended version because the reason that Galadriel giving her giving him her hair is significant is because there was another powerful elf who sought after. Galadriel, I don't know what's up with Galadriel's hair, but people want her hair for some reason. And he wanted uh, three strands of her hair, and she refused him. She's like, no, I'm not giving it to you, blah, blah, blah. And um, so when they get there, she's given the gifts, and she says, what would you ask of me, Gimli? And he's like, nothing. Just, you know, your beauty is amazing. I just want to remember your beauty. I, I, I can't ask you for anything. And she's like, but if you name your desire. A selfie. If you had to name a desire, what would it be? And he's like... Oh, okay. Well, if you're making me name a desire, I wouldn't ask it of you, but just to name the desire, three strands of your hair or whatever. And so then she gives him the hair, and that's why it's so significant. He doesn't even know that it's significant because this old elf. And neither do it. we. And neither do we, unless you know the <laughs> the lore. Yeah. But then later he's talking about it and he's like, Oh, elves are so beautiful and blah blah. And we see like Legolas recognition that Gimli has come to this place where he's like, Ah, maybe elves and dwarves can be cool with each other because they have like historic uh beef. tension. Beef. Yeah, they got beef, beef dude. Yeah. All right. The, I don't know the, why the why is it the the dwarves are not involved in in like the uh, ensemble army that they're collecting against M Mordor. Well, we'll have to watch the Hobbit to find out, won't we? Well, oh, the quick God. answer is that men and elves are the uh, chosen. They're the actual children that were like created by Iluvatar, and dwarves were created by one of the Einar, one of the one of the angels, because he was like. Uh, the men and elves are annoying. I want to make my own dude people. So that he made elves. So they're not like one of the chosen. They're like men, but more diggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's also a lot less of them left. Mm. There's not that many. Maybe we're just meant because like um, Moria is just cleaned out and decimated. We're, we're kind of just meant to believe like, oh, the, or the dwarves are gone. Oh, man. Okay. They're we're trying gone. to end this episode, but yeah. I, there's stuff about Moria I wanted to say. Well, okay. We can... okay. Okay. We have to talk about the Bridge of Castle Doom. Real quick. Real quick. Okay. So like in the movie... This is why the extended version is maybe, or it's not even the extended version. It's the book versus the movie. In the movie, they indicate that Gandalf knows that there's a Balrog in Moria, right? They're like, Saruman's kind of talking about Gandalf, and he's like, you know what they awoke uh, when they dug too deep and blah, blah, blah. And it shows Gandalf being like, oh, scared of Moria. He doesn't want to go to Moria. But Gimli's like, oh, let's go to Moria. It's great. My cousin Balin will give us a royal welcome. So like, what actually happened in the book is that um, Moria was taken over by orcs, and Balin, who is one of the dwarves from the Hobbit uh, adventure, he's like, I'm going to take back Moria, okay? It's going to be a dwarf place once again. So he goes back and takes it back, but it's been a while since he went to do that. So Gimli thinks that he took it back and it's all good. And he's balling out of control. He's, ah! <laughs> and Gandalf 
uh, does also in the book doesn't know what's going on. And I guess in the movie, he doesn't know what has actually happened there, but he knows that a Balrog is down there somewhere and maybe they dug too deep and you know, blah, blah. blah. So it's kind of confusing though, because I, if you, if you don't know that background lore, you're like, why is Gandalf like, does Gandalf know that Moria's shitty and he just doesn't say anything? It's weird. I think, I th- uh, I, this is totally unrelated, but I remember th- like the biggest moment from this movie when it came out, everybody was quoting and talking about was the you shall not pass. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. on the rewatches, man, Ian McKellen, what a range. Like when you are selecting an actor for this, you need to go from him in the Shire being like, I arrived <laughs> precisely what I mean to. <laughs> yeah. And and the heart to heart he's having about what we each one of us does with our time to you shall not yeah, yeah. And it's like this explosion. His eyebrows are like touching the top of yeah. his head. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Udun. It's Go so back so to the epic. shadow. Epic. Yeah. So, so epic. I think so British sick. actors are better. <laughs> they are, man. I think it's because of the stage. I think the training that they do. Frodo could not have delivered that line. The approach to the <laughs> craft. I think those kind of, like his ilk, that oh, class yeah. of actor, they're just top. I mean, yeah. I, I I don't want to argue with that. I think that uh, there's there's, but it also might just be our um, lens over here. You know, our Western lens or our North American lens. We see British actors and we're like, oh wow, they're so sophisticated. Oh, they sound so amazing. I don't know. I think it's just the history of of the craft that I have over there. Like going back to Shakespeare and stuff. There's just like so much depth. But maybe it's just like it's really well suited for a certain type of cinema. And maybe it's not as good for like it's good for vaudeville, but not like cinema verite or whatever. Let yeah. me tell you, I I often have trouble watching British like TV more than American TV because I'm like you you sound you sound weird, man. Well, I, <laughs> I think a big accents. I've got trouble. Oh, uh, there's yeah, there's a criminal. We've got to catch him. Tune in next week. Oh god. <laughs> I David? think a big part of why you perceive British actors as better is that we only get the the ones that make it here, the best ones, the ones that break out of England, whereas all the small English actors that are equivalent to our, I don't know, like whatever mid-level actors. like It's true. We only take the best I don't British actors. trash talk anybody. But yeah, we get I was going to trash the talk ones. the guy who played Hawkeye, but I can't remember his name. Jeremy. Jeremy Renner. Jeremy Renner? I don't like him very much. He's American. He's I know. Okay. Yeah, oh, he you're saying the, he the British version of Jeremy Renner. <laughs> They're He's back okay. in England uh, uh, releasing their own Instagram copy apps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Bridge of Castle Doom's freaking lit. It's so it's sick. freaking sected. This whole movie Although, is fucking sick. I love it. It's so it good. It is. I'm glad this podcast was as long as it was. There's going to yeah. be a lot of Lord of the Rings coming, guys. So, uh, like I said at the top, next week is not Lord of the Rings. Week after is not Lord of the Rings. Next week is Mank. It's the David Fincher movie. It's going to be sweet, hopefully. And hopefully. then after that, we're going to close up the Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises. It's going to be what it is. <laughs> ah. And so if you want to keep abreast, uh, follow us on Twitter at Carpool Critics. Email us. Hello at carpoolcritics.ca. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I think that's it. You want to keep abreast? Yeah. Just a having to hold. <laughs> you want to keep abreast for safekeeping? Yeah, okay. See you later. Love you. See you later.